Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I occasionally write books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It is Will Ashen. What's up? Will Ashen, how was your Thanksgiving? I've missed you. Uh, well, I miss you too, John. It, it was okay. How was your holiday? It could not have been worse. No, I'm kidding. It could not oh. have been better. We had a great time. It was a good That's holiday great. week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we really did miss you on our, our little game night on the podcast we had a few days ago. It was a really good time and uh, we wish you could have been there. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I had some uh, some stuff in my personal life I had to deal with, but it's kind of smoothing out now. So I'm happy to be back ah, on the podcast. That's so great to hear. We're going to do game night again soon, but uh, for now you can find more episodes <laughs> with Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. That's right. Every episode, all our bonus stuff, all of our written content, it's all on our website. And if you'd like to write into the show and uh, let us know what you think. And if you have any ideas, questions, comments, concerns, email us cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, please consider becoming one of our monthly supporters on Patreon. The link to that is in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Just a few off topics to get to because we have a long and lonely road of films to get to so many things we saw over the holidays a lot of them good and a lot of them we'll talk about uh we're going to be talking about knives out in this episode i think that'll be uh, our big review considering it's a bit of a box office surprise now we're talking about this a little while after a lot of people have seen it which is really great and i wonder will maybe we should save that toward the end maybe we can do like a spoiler thing for knives out right because at this point, I have a feeling some of our listeners, a good majority of them have seen the film, and I want to talk about some spoilery things with you if you're mm-hmm. up for it. So that could be good. Sure. Yeah. We'll also talk about the new film from Sam Mendes, 1917. We're going to talk about a few Christmas films like Noel and Let It Snow. That's right. It's the holiday season, and Will Ashen and I, we we went to town on the uh, the Christmas content. Uh, and then we have a couple of indies for you and a catch-up review on 21 Bridges uh, because, Will, you, you had a chance to check that one out. One film mm-hmm. that we did not get a chance to see this past week that did hit wide release was Queen and Slim. And neither of us had a chance to see that one quite yet, but we both plan on seeing it pretty soon. So you can expect to hear that uh, on a very, uh, I should say, future episode, an upcoming episode of mm-hmm. Cinemaholics. Words fail me. This sure. week, Will Ashen, I, I'm yeah. I'm so full from the Black Friday sales and deals that uh, really took yeah. us by storm this past weekend. How's that Olive Garden promotion coming <laughs> along? <laughs> oh boy, I was able to uh, spend all of our ad money, all of our sponsored content okay. funds on all all of the all the possibles and breadsticks that Matt Serafini could have enjoyed. That's so, nice. Yes. Uh, just a quick off, just a few quick off topics to get to. First up, I mentioned it earlier, but our bonus episode, uh, game night episode that we did with Corey Woodruff and Sam Nolan, just came out. Uh, that is where we played the card game Cinephile, which is called mm-hmm. the. It's like an ultimate card game for film nerds, movie geeks, and uh, I forget the third one, but Weirdos? you get the idea. No, <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, that's you. Uh, that is Just a really kidding. that is a really fun game. Uh, basically, we got to quiz and trivia each other on the filmographies of different celebrities. So, for example, we had to guess the filmography of John Travolta from memory, and I won't spoil who won game night, but I think you all know who it is. I think I think we Jason all have Bateman. maybe a clue. That's right. No, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Jason Bateman got that car. 
So that is our cinephile episode. Definitely check it out. Again, we'll we we have to do it with you next time because I, I just feel like you would uh you probably would have killed. Hmm. We'll see. Of course, our extra milestones coming up. We're a little late because it's uh, officially December, but our November extra milestone is coming up. That's Monty Python's Life. Brian, you still have a chance to watch that film before oh, we yeah. do our extra milestone episode about that 1979 possible classic. We'll have to talk about it. And stay tuned, of course, for all of the voting we'll be doing on December's extra milestone. As always, we'll need your help on that poll. And, you know, we're getting to the end of the year. Flash. A lot of stuff's going on. A lot of lists are being made. And I just want our listeners yeah. to remember that we are going to be doing a top 10 films of 2019 as always, but we're still kind of thinking, yeah, maybe we're going to do like a, a best of the decade list or episode. And I want our listeners to start thinking about films maybe are, that aren't the obvious ones. Maybe they're like the gems, Will Ashton, the uncut mm-hmm. gems, if you will, of the oh. year. Uh, if maybe in 2019, maybe the decade, what is a film that you just feel like not enough conversation was generated around? Will and I are going to be thinking about this over the next month. We already kind of are. I know, Will, I've been really racking my brain of like, what what is that film I saw this year that maybe I briefly mentioned it on the show, maybe you briefly mentioned it, that you just, you just wish more people had had a chance to see. I know you just saw a few films of the Three Rivers Film Festival, and a couple of those were standouts, but hopefully our listeners will have some ideas. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. We do have a question of the week. However, we were pretty bad about sifting through all the comments. Uh, so we're not prepared for the question of the week because we're kind of slapdashing this. So we're going to be doing, we're saving that for next week. Uh, it's still, what are some 2019 movies you want to catch up on over the holidays? And so that applies to all of December. We're doing our fall movie, or sorry, not fall movie. We're doing our winter movie preview episode next week. Where we're going to be previewing all of the latest films that are going to be coming out in December, January, and February. And in that time, definitely keep an ear out for what we will be talking about over the next few months. But then in addition to that, what are some of those 2019 movies you still want to catch up on? Well, there are a few that uh, I have on my list. I I still haven't seen, for example, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to see Our Time Machine, although I think that's still in the festival circuit because you had brought it up. And as as soon as I get a chance, I want to see that. Yeah, I hope you do. I'm... uh... Not 100% sure when that's supposed to come out, but I really hope you get a chance to check it out. All right. Uh, okay. Speaking of things we're catching up on, like I said, it was the holidays. We had a lot of uh, lot of, lot of, of movies come our way, but also some TV shows. Uh, let's have a little TV break from all the film talk. TV break. All right. Yep. I'm buckling the belt, <laughs> laying on the couch. Well, Will, okay. Yeah, I put the clicker away. I just want to ask you, did you see any new shows over the holidays? Did any come up for you? No, nah, I haven't. <laughs> Was it all yeah. movies all the time? Basically, yeah. This is tis the season for movies. So mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you have it a different way, but um, I feel like TV is a very spring thing. Like I can kind of catch up on a lot of TV during the spring. The sweeps. Yeah, the sweeps. Uh, hmm. Sometimes in the summer, maybe I don't know. I, I feel like it, it kind of like seasons bounce. Like summer is like a movie season. Fall can be kind of both, but like I, I'll tend to watch TV during the fall. But winter and summer, yeah, I'd say are like the movie season. So I'm I'm in the thick of it for movies. Totally understandable. Now there is a show that won't really qualify for me sweeps because it's about to finish. Uh, not about to, about to, but in the next month it'll be done. And that's the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. And yeah. well, I'm just curious because I've been watching mm-hmm. this show 
It's been all over the internet. It's been memed yeah, like crazy. So I, I was curious, what do you what do you think of as an outsider to the show? You haven't seen a single episode. What what do you think of the Mandalorian of it all at this point? What are, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this whole phenomenon? Well, again, haven't seen the show. Have no opinion on anything as far as its quality. Uh, I I do think because it's impossible to not see baby Yoda on the internet at this point. If you're not on the internet, maybe you can miss out. But if you're on the social media, as you've seen him, and I, I think I called him irresponsibly cute to you earlier today. And I, I think mm-hmm. that point still stands. He's uh, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's even cuter in the show, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, uh, um, it, it's hard to put into words, like how adorable that stupid little thing is. <laughs> he is pretty adorable and he's irresponsible in the show too for what it's worth yeah he is. yeah i do uh, like it's a puppet i mean that that's nice he is a puppet he is a puppet yeah, yeah. I, I i can't wait for you to catch up on mandalorian though yeah this this last episode episode four was a bit contentious uh very yeah. divisive that's a lot of people the, run into uh, it the bryce dallas howard one that's right. That's right. And you know, I thought it was just fine. I I thought it was it was, it was definitely very uh, derivative. <laughs> but okay. I think it would, I think there are a lot of people who would watch it and maybe be like, "This reminds me of a Bug's Life," and I'd be like, "Yep, okay, <laughs> sounds That's about weird. right." Uh, I know it'll make more sense when you're older. I have to steal a line from Olaf. Um, is it like Seven Samurais as well? Oh yes. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> it's so Seven Samurai. Like I could practically see. Akira Kurosawa just sort of like glancing at the side of a cloud in the distance, um, wondering like, what has become. Dang, that baby is too adorable. <laughs> he is irresponsibly cute. But he is irresponsibly cute. <laughs> but in Japanese. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, of course. It's still it's still a show with a really great production budget and really intriguing characters and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I think at this point, people are it's the Yoda show. People are showing up for baby Yoda to be clear, not... Not Yoda as like a young person, just we don't know the name of that species. Right. And so yeah. we just sort of have to shorthand it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there's another, another TV show uh, I checked out. I binged over the holidays. It's a new Netflix Christmas show called Merry, Happy, Whatever. Had, had you heard about this show at all, Will, before I had brought it up to you? Uh, yes. I, I sometimes watch the trailers that Netflix put out for like things that are going to be on their streaming service. And I mostly check it out just for like what movies are going to be on there and different things like that. But I remember briefly they were like, Mary happy, whatever. And I saw Dennis Quaid there. I'm like, is, Oh, is this like a, a movie that Dennis Quaid did? And then I, I, I saw, it was like a kind of like four, like a, it looked like a like multi-camera setup. So I'm like, this has to be a show. It's like Dennis Quaid is doing a show on Netflix. Uh, I guess a sitcom, no less. And is that, is that what it is? Like a Christmas sitcom with Dennis Quaid on Netflix. It's a, I would say it's a holiday sitcom because it covers Christmas and New Year's. Now, I, I do want to I do want to talk about this briefly because it is intriguing. It, it is an intriguing setup. It is multi-camera, right? It's not it is multi-camera. Camera. It is a it is a comedy sitcom. The first season is eight episodes, and it is kind of unique. I think the unique format of the the sitcominess it, of it is actually very original. You were gonna say? No, I was gonna say, is it like a family one, or is it like the ranch where it's like basically an R-rated sitcom? Oh no, it's not R-rated. It, it's it's basically wholesome uh there's not a, there's not a lot of cusses or anything like that uh mm-hmm. it's it's actually it is pretty wholesome and uh it's actually something that they they're talking about doing as an anthology series so it could even though it's taking place around christmas and new year it could actually take uh go to other holidays and the setup is that it is about this family 
where Dennis Quaid is the patriarch and he's in charge of this family and he's a bit overbearing. He's a police officer. I know what you're thinking. A police officer in a sitcom? Come on. Haven't seen enough of that. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I should also say uh, the show, the show itself was uh, created by Tucker Crawley, who uh, he wrote episodes for Everybody Loves Raymond. That's why. Oh, Um, and uh, Men of a Certain Age, Parks and Rec, Up All Night. He's a sitcom veteran for sure. Well, can we talk about Everybody Loves Raymond for a bit? Just right now? Sure. Why not? What do you What do you Uh, want to talk about? (laughs) Well, I just want to talk about like like I feel like that show gets denigrated to like you know like there's a lot of like mediocre sitcoms out there and I I feel like unjustly everyone loves everybody loves Raymond gets kind of thrown in that category but it's like everybody loves Raymond was a good show. I mean, I'll, I'll vouch for it. There's like no B plots on it. It's just like a good solid family sitcom with good characters. I thought good it was writing. funny. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I never was like into the show. I can't say I've seen a ton of episodes or anything, but it was my introduction to Ray Romano. Yeah. And, and who doesn't love Ray Romano? That's right. Yeah, he's great. Anyway, yeah. we go back. My, to my parents loved that show. I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, uh, yeah, this show, it has kind of a format like How I Met Your Mother, where it's it's not the traditional, you know, one episode a week sort of format. It's actually a little bit more like every episode is a day taking place where our main protagonist is this guy. Oh, it's like those um, what those calendars. What do you call those? What? Um, with a candy in them. Where like like an advent calendar. Advent calendar. There you go. Is it like the advent calendar? Like every episode's a new treat. Uh, sure. If you want to use that <laughs> analogy, <laughs> a little random. Sure. So, yeah, so the main character is an outsider to this family. His name is Matt, and he's played by Brent Moran. And he's the boyfriend of the youngest daughter of this family, who she's the, the daughter of the Dennis Quaid character. And he's he's a musician in L.A., and his uh, girlfriend, Emmy, is this, like, really proactive, kind of, like, career-minded person. And she brings him home for the holidays, right? So he's introduced mm. to the family. And I'll say, like, when I started this show, like, right away. <laughs> oh, oh, and I should say, this takes place in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So oh, okay. uh, a little close to home for you, Will. Not really, but sure. Well, maybe in the grand scheme of the United States, perhaps. Um, and this is a global show. But um, how far is Bucks County away from you, actually? I'm looking it up now. Keep talking. So, okay. <laughs> I, I do not know uh, where this is exactly, but I have a feeling it's more closer to Philadelphia, which is the other side of the state for you. Yeah, that's what I think. Regardless, uh, so Matt gets introduced to this family, and I was really close to turning this show off at that point because I was like, this is not very funny. This is a really dated sort of trope. But as soon as they introduce the, the idea that like every episode is going to be like a day it, during their 10 days while they're staying with the family, and that, that kind of intrigued me. And then it gets introduced that the other in-laws in this family the ones who were married to the the other uh the sisters and the brother in this family at that point you see matt kind of get almost like initiated into this group of in-laws they call themselves the quinn laws because this is the quinn family and at that point i was like oh this is kind of interesting it's an interesting setup of like oh in-laws hanging out with each other and like they go to the bar to sort of get away from like this like kind of creepy family and how close they are and to vent about how overbearing the dennis quaid character is the jokes aren't that great and after the first episode i stopped it and i was like yeah that wasn't very good but for some reason will i turned it back on and i watched the entire show in one sitting and it is one of those sitcoms that is like a long-running story it's not very episodic like there are there actually are some things that happened that were kind of interesting and that kind of kept driving the plot forward 
there's a lot in this show that I can't say is is recommendable. It, it it's yeah. not something that I think my parents would love <laughs> because sure. there's some stuff in there where it is traditional in a sense. Like it has sort of that last man standing vibe where the, some of yeah. the characters are more traditional, right? But then also it has these plots that are a little bit more progressive. So it feels like kind of mm. like a hodgepodge. I'm not sure how some families would react to it. The yeah. f- the first episode or the first two episodes and a couple of the other ones were directed by Pamela Fryman, who I'm a big fan of. She was also a, a director and producer for How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. And um, for most of the episodes of How I Met Your Mother, she, she has a very Great. prolific, uh, had a prolific career with that show, which yes. really explains why, like her, fi- you really feel the How I Met Your Mother DNA in this new one. And that's why I was okay. so interested in myself. Uh-huh. But I think the writing is all over the place. Uh, I think that whenever Tucker Crawl- Collie is like wor- uh, writing the show, it feels very forced to me and it feels like almost sort of haphazard in its approach where I never quite know like, where is this really going? What is this trying to say? But then other times, there, there are some other writers here, like David Holden, who directs the second episode, and that's the one that kept me going, uh, which he he also was one of the, uh, he also wrote for War at Home, the War at Home, which is... Uh, oh, the Michael Rapport one. Yeah, that was a sitcom that I really liked that uh, I, I thought didn't get its due uh, when uh, it was out. Uh, that was okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was like a nice little, little gem of a show. I thought it was a little, uh, it was a little weird in that, like, I remember it was like trying to be very mean spirited, but like also be like, it's a network show. So it has to be about family. Yeah. And I was like kind of going for like that Malcolm in the middle vibe, but like not quite getting it exactly. Uh, yeah, I would, I think that's actually pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, regard for this show, I'd say that it's not as good as either of those. And it, it, the nice thing about it is it does get better as it goes along. And it's a nice enough show to watch with friends and family, I think, who are a little bit more open minded, who might be who might be willing to watch kind of a goofy show with some stuff on its mind. It's probably about the same line as like How I Met Your Mother in terms of where it lands on its ideas. And it's very safe. It's very vanilla and cookie cutter. And, you know, I I can't look at it as something meaningful or important. But as a mindless holiday binge, it's quite all right. But that's Merry Happy Whatever. Did you have any questions about Mary, happy whatever. I'm curious. Or oh, do I? No, not that. I, I mean, the only one I was going to ask is, uh, well, for one, I should tell people it's not a question. I should let them know that I'm about six hours away from Bucks County, PA, so it's not very close mm-hmm. to me. But it is in my state, so I guess. Well, I'm, that's about uh, how far LA is from me. So okay. Um, but my question is, do they say the title in the show? Like, is that a line of dialogue in the pilot? Mm, nope. It is. It's it not. It's not. It is not. No. I was expecting Dennis Quaid at one point being like, Mary, and then like the audience like clapping, giggling a little bit, happy, and you know, it's getting a little, <laughs> little more rowdy, and like, whatever. And then, you know, they, they, they lose it. Applause. Yeah. <laughs> you start seeing popcorn being thrown onto the stage. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like that scene a from fight Ed ensues. <laughs> uh, Dennis Quaid is not the best character in this show. Uh, I'd okay. actually say one of the better characters is probably Ashley Tisdale, believe it or not. Uh, oh, you mean like the character is not well-defined or he's just like a morally gray person? Just the characters, the character is very mean-spirited and unlikable. Okay. Too much so. And and when it gets to the point where you're supposed to start rooting for him in some aspects, it's like, nah, I don't he's buy it. He's a rascal. Uh, yeah, he's just like a, he's just a dick. But then Ashley Tisdale <laughs> ends up being one of the characters I ended up finding one of the more interesting ones 
one one nice thing I will say about the show is it does sort of realistically portray like how fights in relationships work. It's the sort of thing where in a lot of sitcoms, like oh, that sounds a fun. couple, a couple, I know, right? <laughs> Uh, they do it in a tactful way, but yeah. like, you know how most sitcoms, like a couple will fight in like one episode and then it's resolved yeah. at the end. This actually is a little bit more realistic where it's like a small thing in one episode and then the next episode, something gets added to that. And then the next episode, mm. two more things get added to that and it builds and builds and the characters remember what happened in the previous episodes and they bring it up again and they they use things against each other. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of how mm. it works. Like that's how human beings that's how we interact with each other, especially over the holidays when we're stressed out. And so th- that was that was an aspect that I found uh, kind of in- intriguing and that they, they went in that direction. But it's just not that funny. That That's a problem. Uh, I, I maybe chuckled three or four times over the course of eight episodes. So that's maybe that's my humor. But yeah. So that's a resounding recommendation <laughs> for Mary Happy Whatever now on Netflix. Uh, I suppose so. Uh, also, I caught up on Last Christmas, and I have to echo a lot of your thoughts on it. I did, I did not care for Last Christmas. This is the right. Paul Feig film, Paul Feig. Hmm. Sometimes I want to say Paul Feig, uh, where uh, I'm still I'm starting to forget what the movie was about. It, it's only been like it, I saw this on Wednesday, so it hasn't even yeah. been a week, and I forgot so much about it. But yes, Amelia Clark is it, in it mm-hmm. with Henry Golding, Michelle Yeoh, Emma Thompson, and this is a really forgettable kind of meaningless christmas movie where i saw everything coming and yes. just none of it landed for me i i mm-hmm. i walked out just being like shrugging the, on yeah. the whole the whole walk over to my car yeah i mean guess the podcast cory woodruff really dug it but I, I i mean you know i'm glad he did but i didn't really see what the appeal was unfortunately yeah well i don't want to trash talk cory woodruff any more Nor than i already I. did uh, uh on our on cinephile the, the episode <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, I, I can't say uh, after watching Last Christmas, I recommend that one either. It's it's a bit of a bit of a mess, and sad to say, considering how much I like Simple Favor, Buffy's yeah. last film. So uh, th- this like... one didn't quite work for me, and I can see why they waited so long to release it. <laughs> because what do you mean? well, because they made this film before Simple Favor, didn't they? Or like they, this was they supposed did? to come out last year, I thought. Yeah, because isn't the really? movie the movie takes place in 2017? No, but I thought they did that because the the Brexit theme of the thing, not not because it took place in that time period. That's a dumb I mean, reason I mean, to do that. I didn't think well, that had anything to do with it. I mean, I'll look it up now, but I mean, I didn't I didn't hear anything about it being delayed. I I, I thought can... it was made in like 2017, and then it was supposed to come out 2018, and they decided not to. But I don't know. I don't want to speak uh, recklessly. I don't. I mean, unless you have some info I haven't heard about. I mean, okay, so uh, they filmed it November. Tw- or yeah november 26 2018 through february 2019 oh, okay oh, i apologize so, then i i was under the impression they filmed this a long time ago maybe that's because the the production value was so weak yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. like oh clearly they made this in 2014 you know but yeah no. um yeah i mean it just seems like a movie it's like made for free form mm. like it's for their like 25 days of christmas or whatever like it'll be on there uh, that's that's being mean to freeform a little bit. I kind of <laughs> really uh, slightly, slightly. I don't want to get caught up in that. I mean, bit. Uh, yeah, they they have some good films on there, but like, there's also some just like junky Christmas movies, and mm-hmm. this will be in there. <laughs> All right. Well, with that. Let's get into our reviews of the week again. We're going to delay our featured review of Knives Out to the end of this episode, so that we can get into more spoilers. Uh, for okay. now, sure. for now, let's uh, let's talk about 1917. Okay. This is the new World War One film, 
directed and produced by Sam Mendes. And he also wrote the screenplay with Christy Wilson Cairns. The film stars George McKay, Dean Charles Chapman, Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Richard Madden, Claire Dubrick, Colin Firth, and Benedict Cumberbatch. That's actually a bit of a uh, misleading thing because those aren't the main characters. And a lot of those characters have glorified cameos, honestly. The real stars of this movie are George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman. You'll recognize Dean Charles Chapman from Game of Thrones, of course. Uh, he was, of course, Tommen and one of the other... He, he, had, he had two roles in Game of Thrones. One of them was Tommen. The other was uh, one of the Lannister kids. So th- that was kind of weird, actually, <laughs> that they did that. Uh, regardless, uh, Will, I know you haven't seen this one yet, but I know... It, do you have a screening coming up for it pretty soon? Yeah, sometime this month. I think, like, middle of the month. So it's going to be a mm. couple weeks. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. I want to briefly get into it now because th- this definitely is a film worth talking about. It. We briefly mentioned uh, Corey and I on the cinephile episode that we saw it and recommend it. Um, amazing to see Roger well, Deakins working with Sam Mendes again. So 1917, as the, the title implies, this takes place in the spring of 1917 during the First World War. We're following two young British soldiers who are... Uh, very low ranking. I think they're both corporals uh, or actually Dean Charles Chapman is a Lance corporal. Um, and I believe George McKay is a Lance corporal as well. And this is a, this is a film that follows them on a sort of day long mission, sort of a suicide mission to deliver a message that will prevent an attack that could end in the results of a lot of people dying basically for the British side. And it's kind of amazing to see a film like this because it is in one take uh, or it's filmed to appear to be in one take. You can sort of spot places where they they hide the cuts and everything like that. But I would say for the most part, it's it's basically seamless. I'd say it's more seamless than Birdman, which I think is like the last film of this scale to even attempt being in one take like this or to give off that illusion. And this is definitely one of those films, Will, where I was have I was thrilled by it because I was just I just love it when I watch a movie and I can't I, I, I rack my brain over how they shot something. Uh, there are scenes where characters fall down things and the camera moves along with them and tracks with them and it's edited so seamlessly. I'm just like, what did they do here? How did they make this work? How did they time that so perfectly? Uh, the last film I remember being timed this well was probably last year's Roma. And I'd say this is even more impressive. And I already consider Roger Deakins probably the best cinematographer working today. And I think this could get him in his next Oscar honestly. But I know a lot of people are going to be praising Roger Deakins for this, and rightfully so. I think that a lot of the time, Denis Villeneuve, for example, gets a lot of credit, rightfully so, because his movies are so great. But Villeneuve also gets a lot of credit for his films looking so good. And people forget, that's like, yeah, because Roger Deakins worked on them too. Uh, I think that that's uh, something that people fail to bring up sometimes. But in addition to how well this film is shot and how visceral it is in its filmmaking, uh, I really want to shout out Thomas Newman here because the score is almost even better. Uh, this is one of those films like where everything's just in perfect sync, where the, the two central characters, and I want to say George McKay especially, who is a slightly bit of an unknown to me. He's been in some things like For Those in Peril and Ophelia from last year. Probably the the only role I really remember him from is Captain Fantastic. Uh, I believe he was the oldest son in that. I I forget, were you a fan of Captain Fantastic, Will? 
Yeah, I liked it. Not as much as you did, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like that film. Yeah, it's it's a good watch. Uh, I think it holds up, actually. Yeah, I mainly remember this guy from um, 11 Oh, okay, the yeah. The all... miniseries, yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I haven't gotten into that yet. So, so George McKay, he, he really leads this film. Dean Charles Chapman is just devastating in this as well. Like, just, uh, I... I really see a lot of great things coming for him uh, i remember he was in the king as well uh he kind of had a kind of a i don't want to say forgettable role but it was really minor in in that movie and i forget because you didn't catch up on that one either right the netflix one with uh timothy nah, yeah i haven't had a chance uh you might want to get to that one eventually but uh yeah probably not it's the highest probably my catch-up that we were talking about earlier that, that would yeah. be my catch-up yeah. easy one to get to since it is netflix hmm. i want to say real quick too this is a movie that takes place over a day and it's two hours long 119 minutes and to me it felt like 45 minutes it's one of those films uh because uh, i think some people uh one one critic in particular i forget who was sort of compared this like world war one the ride to sort of deride it and Mm -hmm. sort of write it off as something that just doesn't have anything meaningful to say no substance it's just it's just sort of like taking you on a, like a roller coaster ride through these two soldiers on this impossible mission, and I completely disagree. I, I think that this this movie is haunting in what it takes you through. Uh, it there's times when it almost becomes like a horror movie. Uh, it's very suspenseful, and it 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 just has this quality of it where when you're watching it, you're either completely mesmerized by what you're watching because there's hardly any dialogue. Uh, a lot of it is just watching peril unfold. And when there is dialogue, it's it's handled really well. Exposition is delivered with just the right amount where you understand where these characters come from without it feeling like, you know, that sort of like exposition thing where sometimes characters will be like, uh, yes, that's right. Because, you know, your mom always said that you were mm. the, you know what I mean? It's just like, yes, people don't talk like that. <laughs> but no, that that's definitely yeah. not the case in this one. Uh, I think... McKay and Chapman deliver their deliver performances that are believable and authentic. And they, they both disappear completely in the roles, which is hard to do. Cause that's, it, it's hard for me not to see Tommen in this character and Dean or this actor. And that was an issue I had when, it, when I saw him in the King and, and some of the other things he's been in since that show ended uh, and his role in the show ended. But yeah, here he, he just, he is Lance Corporal Blake. He just is. And then mm-hmm. <clears throat> George McKay is Schofield. And if I had to criticize anything in this film, it's that the cameos are more distracting than they are meaningful. I'd say that the Mark Strong and Richard Madden ones are definitely good cameos. They work. The Colin Firth one and the Benedict Cumberbatch ones, they don't work quite as well. They're they're a little bit more like, I see what you're trying to do here. Uh, and it's it, it just rang very false to me. Like there was no need to put Benedict Cumberbatch in this role. It's very egregious. And then Andrew Scott is is so fan servicey that I really dig it for some reason because he does get to do something in this role that really fits a lot of the other roles that people love him for, uh, specifically Hot Priest from Fleabag. Um, uh, he, 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 he probably was my favorite cameo, even though he wasn't the most emotionally affecting one. You say cameos, but these are, are they actually cameos or supporting roles that are very short? Uh, it, it's a balance between the two, I think. Okay. There, there isn't a, a word that perfectly captures it. I think sure. supporting actor with a small role isn't quite it. Cameo also isn't quite it. It's it's something in between. Well, I just ask because like in the trailer, from what I've seen, 
they make the Colin Firth character seem like he's like actually a pretty pivotal part of the film. Mm. So it doesn't really seem like he's a cameo in it, but I haven't seen the film, so maybe I call it cameo because they don't appear. None of these. Well, I shouldn't give things away, but like none of these characters appear more than once. Sure. Right. Okay. So like that that's the thing. And you can imagine that that's the case because like that's the setup of the movie is that they're going from place to place to place to place. And the point of it is that you don't see recurring characters. And that's also an aspect of it that works. It's just that it, it is just sort of weird to see hyper recognizable actors all of a sudden and sure. they they just leave. And it just feels a little bit like, why are you in this? And it's a problem for right now. And it won't be a problem in 20, 30 years, right? Because the next generation won't be as entrenched in who these people are. Mm. It's the same thing as like people who watch- Fun choice of words. Why do you say that? Entrenched. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. But no, like it's sort of the same thing where like, you know, if you watch some movies that, uh, you know, took- came out in the 1960s or the 1950s and maybe some people were a little bit like that's such a weird role for this actor but then we watch them today and we're just like oh yeah i kind of recognize that person but it's not as distracting like you Mm -hmm. can kind of understand you know like big ensemble casts like murder in the orient express from the 70s or you know the ocean's 11 with frank sinatra it's not quite as distracting because that pop culture has ended and we're in a different one and you can sort of appreciate it for it being its own thing. I hope that's the case mm-hmm. for 1917 because as it stands, it was, it was a bit of a pitfall uh, for an otherwise, I thought, near perfect film and what it's trying to accomplish here. So I'm a big fan. I don't want to get into specific details into like how the mission happens or what happens in it because I think it's all best left to surprise in your own imagination. And the big suspense of this is like, what's going to happen next? And I don't want to give anything else away. So I just want to say, People should go see this one. It's uh, it, it's made to be watched on the big screen. It's made to be experienced. And it is, as Martin Scorsese, I think, would say, it is cinema. Um, and I'm so happy to see this because uh, I have not been a fan of some of Sam Mendes' previous films, notably Spectre. Uh, I thought that that was a film with all flash and and no substance. And yeah, I, I, I think that this is a guy who he goes back and forth with his films a little bit right? Uh, I think American Beauty is still probably his best film. That was his first one. And he's he's come close to like recapturing what sort of like permeated the mainstream. I think a lot of people would argue Skyfall was that mm-hmm. film that sort of like became even more of like a, a mainstream accepted film uh, compared to that. But uh, what, what do you think? Will, are you excited for 1917? Are you, uh, are you feeling like this might? Uh, well, I don't even know your opinion on Sam Mendes. So I don't know if he's even a director you're feeling low on. Um, I mean, I liked Sam Mendes. I, I think I've liked all of his films to date, not to the same degree, but I mean, like I, I like Road to Perdition. I like Jarhead a lot. Actually, I think yeah, Jarhead's, Jarhead's pretty great. underrated. Yeah, I think it's pretty underrated. I don't know why people would dismiss it. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah, Probably because of Road, Kanye West song. Maybe, but that's mm-hmm. mostly in the trailers. I don't remember that playing that big of a part in the film, yeah. but it's been a while. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, but I think... After Revolutionary Road, like some of his movies seem to be more like aesthetically appealing than like narratively satisfying. And just based on the trailer for this, I, I was feeling like it might fall in that category. So I am happy to hear that the reviews are strong. Um, yeah, I'd also put like Skyfall in that, that earlier category of like films that I feel like I, don't know, I have some issues with Skyfall. I like it fine, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think the divide between Spectre and Skyfall is that deep, truth be told. Really? So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I definitely disagree uh, with that. I think Skyfall is vastly superior. Uh, yeah. It has great set pieces, but I, I think it kind of like wants to have its cake and eat too. 
Well, one thing about this film that does make it stand out, and and this might make you feel a little bit better about it, considering it, it is very different from his previous films. Like, it's nothing like anything we've mm. seen from him before. Um, maybe yeah. some of filmmaking techniques are sort of similar, and obviously the Deacon cinematography is going to be yeah. sort of similar, but in a good way. Uh, this is the first film that he has directed, produced, and written. He's never written a film before. Yeah. So, and I think that it sort of says something that this film is so underwritten <laughs> in that sense. Like maybe you can sort of uh, understand maybe why he co-wrote it uh, and um, why this is a film that he decided to like really make so simple and so primal in its storytelling. It, it really is just, it's elemental, you know, but not elementary. I think it's probably yeah. the, the nicest thing I can say about it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that you can, you can definitely tell that it's a film that, that could have dove in a, that, that probably will be the big criticism is that it's, it's all flash. It's all mm-hmm. sort of like pomp. But I, I do think that there are enough scenes in here that get away from the gimmicks and they get away from just sort of that visceral like storytelling I was talking about and those set pieces that do kind of remind of how thrilling Skyfall is. He does take time to stop the action and let these characters exist for a moment so you can experience their anxiety their pain and just the, the trudge and tedium of what these soldiers went through uh, specifically in a, in a war that doesn't get a lot of screen time. You know, we see a lot of films about world war two because that is the film that is the war that Hollywood has always found more glamorous has always found a more easy, easy, accessible story to pull from. And the first world war is very different. Uh, it tends to be a bit darker. It tends to be a bit like I feel like Wonder Woman was one of the first that infused so much wish fulfillment into that time period. And in I think that same year, right, we or maybe it was a year after, actually, where we got okay. the documentary from Peter oh, oh, Jackson. Oh, yeah, They Shall Not Grow Old. They Shall Not Grow Old, right, which was a little bit more of like, yeah, it, it was more real about it. It was more gritty and uh, kind of downtrodden about what these soldiers experience but in a way that was trying to pay tribute to them. I think 1917 strikes kind of a balance between it's very different from those other works and it's it's very different from other first world war films I think we've seen and I'm looking forward to you seeing it as well. I give it an, an A minus. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites of the year. Could be a top nice. 10. Uh, probably well, is a top 10 um, well. at this point. Hmm. All right, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, like I said, yeah, it wasn't totally on my radar when the trailer came out, but the reviews have definitely swayed me, so... Yeah, I'm curious to check this one out, and I hope I like it as much as you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Corey would have liked this one a lot as well. Has a yeah, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 47 reviews. Uh, pretty good average rating at this point. Yep. And mm-hmm. I have to file my review for it pretty soon. And so this is a good little little practice run for me um, as we, yep. as I'm going to roll that one out soon. And, and uh, ha- happy to uh, provide a little extra tomato juice to that meter because uh, I'm obviously a big fan. Mm-hmm. But that is 1917. Let's get into our next film. Uh, we've been in a bit of a Christmas movie kick, Will. And I know you saw this one uh, a little bit more recently than me. I saw this about a week ago. This is a new Disney Christmas comedy with uh, some fantasy and adventure as well, I think it's fair to say. Mm. Directed and written by Mark Lawrence. And oh boy, what what, what to say? Uh, this is Disney Plus, forgot to mention. Yeah. Well, this is this is a movie that got delayed. This is a Christmas movie that did get delayed. Oh, uh, <laughs> maybe it was going to be. Of. Well, maybe I don't know. I mean, this was supposed to come out, I think, last year. Mm. Um, I know it was like I think this one's on the like. I feel like this was filmed in like 2017, if I remember correctly. And then it like, kind of had like it was like 
kind of wavering on the calendar for Disney for a little bit. Then when they reaffirmed they announced their plans for Disney Plus. They're like, hey, Noelle's going to be on there. And it's just like, oh, okay. Um, I don't think that's the case because they didn't start filming it until... Um, oh, wait, no, you're probably right. I think you're right. You're right. Because they were f- they were filming Look it up. like January 2018. So it would have been ready by um, the winter of 2018. So Or like December 2018. So you're right. Yeah. Well, it looked like, yeah, they were casting it in 2017. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. The, and then, well, no, it says... Production began late October of 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah so. so there you go. Now, what what is this? What is this about? Uh, so Anna Kendrick is is in this film along with Bill Hader, Kingsley Benadire, Billy Eichner, Julie Haggerty, Shirley MacLaine. Oh, the the wonderful, perfect Shirley MacLaine from one of my one of my t- my favorite films of all time, and on many other people's favorite films of all time. And she's playing an elf in this movie. And that's one of very many things that sort of uh, what took me off my feet with Noel. But, Will, what is this What is this one about? Tell the listeners. Uh, yeah, it's a fun premise. Um, it's based on the children of Santa Claus. It's a movie portrays it. Um, it's sort of a generational thing where it's not like Santa Claus has been this, like, ever-living being mm-hmm. throughout time. He, It's like a, like, generational... Yeah, it's like a monarchy kind of thing where it's, like, passed down... Uh, you know, generation by generation, the one Santa passes and then the sun kind of takes over. And I believe it's like 27th or something like that. Uh, I think it's like 24th because I remember it was like, oh, I think it's trying to go with like Christmas Eve. And oh, yeah, good catch. Good catch. Um, Only yeah, reason are, I remember. There's a lot of Christmas puns in this and they're not subtle. So that, that would make sense. What did um, she say? It's like, oh, my garland. So there's a lot of them. I, oh, I, I, we could we could spend this whole episode talking about them i'd rather that's not. fine that's fine uh, well all i care about is you will not besmirch snow cone I'm you can make to. you can make fun of anything in this this movie you can you can throw reindeer reindeer poop at any of any of these aspects of this film but if you say one negative thing about snow cone cinema hawks is done it's over sure. i mean i have nothing against snow cone i think it's a it's a lovely little thing then, and all right it, then you it, have nothing it, against it, me and if anything the movie would have been improved with more snow cone there Probably. literally was one part of the movie where I was just like, snow cone, she needs snow cone to help. Yeah. Um, but let me, I was just going to say, so the plot is based on Noel Kringle and Nick Kringle, who are like the kids, the, the newest kids of Santa Claus. But he's not Claus. quite Saint Nick Kringle, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, yeah, basically they kind of confirm early on that Santa is a big old sexist and he's like, you know, the, the sun is going to be the new <laughs> Santa Claus, and you're this here to spread uh, Christmas cheer. And, big you know, old sexist uh, Chris Kringle, that's right. Yeah, and uh, eventually uh, the patriarchy gets taken down in, in North Pole and uh, all that jazz. But uh, before that, um, we get a little like adventure where we see Nick Kringle is kind of having an existential crisis where he is... Uh, taking over Christmas for the first time. Uh, he's not really adapting to it. He doesn't really have the, the chutzpah for it. And uh, Noel was like, hey, you should take the weekend off. Just kind of like get your mind off things for a little bit. Go to one of these vacation destinations. And he goes to Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, he is just absent. Uh, and everything is in disarray in the North Pole. Noel sneaks out with the reindeer to try to find him. And in doing so, there's some uh, fish out of water comedy that is uh, not unlike Elf. Yeah, there, there's like, altogether. yeah, there's maybe three or four scenes that are 
riffing off of Elf, but it, it, it wasn't too bad, right? Like there weren't. It's not like that's what the whole central premise no. of the movie was. I mean, I feel like by design, this is more like the Santa Claus sequels than Elf in terms of like tone and look and design. Mm, yeah, kind of. I, I think like one interesting one thing they kind of introduced to this is that apparently the North Pole is mostly filled with humans, right? So there's like a whole yeah. North Pole of human beings that can mate with each other to produce right. offspring that becomes yeah. Santa. Mm. And they're all just sort of, they're not elves. They're just people. And but there are elves, uh, surely there are elves, elves. too, but they sort of are like the only difference between them, it seems, and the other and the humans are their ears. It's never established. Lore is not what you're getting. If you're (laughs) if you're curious about Noel, it is a very like hamstrung movie here. Can I I say, though, the things I liked about this? Okay, Billy Eichner. Kendrick. Okay, yeah, Billy Eichner. Sure. Billy Eichner gets to be a tech support santa in this movie who creates an algorithm and gets a few one-liners here at the expense of some of the other uh, characters in this film i appreciated that and i appreciated anna kendrick i mean she can sell goofy silly nonsense without you know being insufferable i think like Mm -hmm. if this hadn't been casted quite right if this had been for example bella thorne i would not have finished this i wouldn't have kept going but because Anna Kendrick is so gosh darn lovable and charming yeah. without really having to try that hard or make mm-hmm. it seem at least that she's not trying hard, I was able to enjoy this, even though Bill Hader is barely in it. Sort of false advertising, right? He's, he's in it more than I anticipated, but not as much, I think, as people are going to expect. Why didn't you think? He, why was it more than you anticipated? Because I thought because this poster has both of them on it that I was like, it's about them. It's not. He's He's maybe in... Less than a third of the film. I mean, I figured he's on the poster because Bill Hader is hot right now, and that's what gets the clicks. Oh, he's, but I knew, he's like, hot with all him the time, being, Will Ash. But with him being absent, like I figured that he was going to be gone for like at least the whole second half of the movie. That's why I was surprised that they brought him back in the second half. I'll just say, I mean, yeah, like you were saying, I don't know if there's really too much that should be said or really a, a pertinent need to dive too deep into Noel. I mean, it's a Disney Plus film. Uh, it was going to be in theaters, and you can kind of tell, except for the special effects, that they yeah, had there was some like money put rough, into this. Pretty rough around the edges. It, yeah. it, to me, it felt probably like unfinished. A, yeah, it to me it felt like a Disney Channel original movie with like a slightly better budget, mm-hmm. but it really is that sort of like content, maybe freeform, like you were sort of yeah. referring to earlier. Right. Uh, it's not funny, right? Yes. There, there's no. There's like one. No there's one joke that made me laugh. Oh, the lucky? rest are like, was it? You're very lucky. I don't. I don't think I laughed oh. once. I, the, actually, no, that's false. I did laugh, and it was a Billy Eichner line. Okay, had to do with a gavel. I mean, there was one joke, and it's towards the end, so I won't give it away. But it generally caught me off guard, and it, it made me laugh. I thought it was a good joke. Hmm. Uh, everything else was like, yeah, Billy Eichner had a couple like chuckle worthy stuff, but yeah, most of it's just not very funny. Yeah, and it does. It is one of those films that takes so long to get to the very obvious thing. Where you're just like, mm-hmm. why is why is this movie taking so long to introduce the most obvious resolution? Like it's too obvious. Like yes. it, it's just yeah. it yeah, it, this this movie is a bit of a weird tease. And but as as far as like comfortable bubblegum Christmas Hallmark movie content goes, I'd say it's better than a bunch of the other ones, right? Like it's better than another one we'll talk about soon, that's for sure. Uh, that mm-hmm. is a Netflix Christmas movie. But in terms of like 
really good Christmas movies that we've seen on streaming platforms. Like, there's not a long list, I'll give you that. But yeah. Klaus, still one of my favorite movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, no comparison. That That is, if you, if you have to look at Disney Plus or Netflix movies that are good for the family and are Christmassy, please watch Klaus. Skip this. This, this just... This is like for playing in the background, like while you're cooking or baking Christmas cookies or something like that, you know, or folding your Christmas sweater and ironing it or whatever you do with your sweaters. Uh, this this is not a movie to like sit back and try to analyze. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I remember when it was announced, it was on Disney Plus. That was kind of sad because it was like, oh, Disney is like throwing all their middle budget movies onto their streaming service. It seems like they just only want their bigger movies to play in theaters. Unless it's like the documentary stuff that they sometimes put out on the cheap. But when they saw the movie itself, or at least even the marketing for it, it was pretty apparent. Like, oh, like this isn't this isn't anything I was going to go out of my way to see anyhow. So it's not like a big loss that didn't have a theatrical release. And with that, I mean, like like you're saying, it's it's one of those movies that if it's on and it's like, you know, in the Christmas season and you don't have anywhere to be and you're just like with your family, it's like fine. It 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 kind of just fills a void, I guess. But uh yeah, yeah I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like I, I think Anna Kendrick makes it go down smoother than it might have otherwise, uh, just based on her she has a lot of charisma. She's just a very appealing screen presence. And I agree with you that I think it doesn't feel insincere in a way that it might have felt forced with a lot of other performers uh in this role. So but with everyone else, it just felt like they're kinda on on autopilot for most of the movie yeah uh, including shirley mclean who just feels uh, like she just kind of like was like gone vacation just yeah like, just, right. yeah she's just like adam sandler can do this so can i right yeah and it's just very strange because i mean like you know she deserves it like you know she's, she doesn't need to prove anything to me or anyone else right. for that matter but uh it was just kind of strange being like well you got her and you know i mean i'm sure she she's here for the money for the most part but it's like you could you could give her a little more to do if, if she's willing but I, yeah. I guess they're like, yeah, she, 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 she does what she needs to do. And, you know, she's getting paid and I'm not complaining. So it's kind of nice to see her on the small screen yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> once again. It's been a while. I was trying to think. Yeah, I was trying to think what she was in last I saw. I mean, I've, it has to be something before Bernie, but that's the main thing I remember before this. Uh, good question. I have to give that some thought. Bernie was like, what, like late 2000s? So, hmm. Was she in a... Uh, um was it secret life of walter mitty i think she was was she i think that's the last uh, thing i saw her in yeah what well, still that was like 2016 no that's Actually, 2013 no, it was, no, it was 20, 2013 right yeah yeah so that was a while ago um oh you know what she was in uh that amanda seyfried movie um the <laughs> i remember what year it came out but it, it was only a couple of years ago it was the it was the one where she writes the obituary and she has that line she's like she writes the bitch in obituary you don't remember that? Uh, is that the one with Ed Helms? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't remember him being in that. But uh, yeah, I forget what it was called. It 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 was something. It was it was like a Sundance film that Bleecker Street thought was gonna be bigger. <laughs> Clearly, it wasn't. Uh, I'll have to look. I don't know later. if I saw. This. Yeah, I don't know if I saw that one. But um, yeah, again, always happy to see her. Uh, I'm not gonna delay this anymore. I guess. I mean, the one thing I will say is that. Um, I, I do think if this had gone to theaters, it probably would have been rated G. Um, mm. I can't think of anything that's like pushing PG in this movie. And I kind of appreciate it for that. And that like, you know, we rarely, you know, even like movies that are designated for families tend to have something that's kind of thrown in to give it like a little bit of edge to push it to PG. And I do like that this movie is just 
fairly wholesome by design and not really trying to push any boundaries or anything, just being entirely, you know, sweethearted in its design and formula. But yeah, it's just very distinctless. And it's very apparent why they just threw this on to Disney Plus. It just kind of fills it. It fills in the need for content on their service, but it's something I think anyone's going to feel compelled to like rewatch during the Christmas season. So for that, I'll give it a firm C for Christmas. I'm a <laughs> I'm a C on it as well. I give it a C for Christmas cookie because uh, I I look at it as kind of like a, a burnt Christmas cookie where I'm like, yeah, it's decorative. It looks like a Christmas cookie, but you messed it up. <laughs> it doesn't taste very good. Anna Kendrick, it's, the milk yeah. makes it go down smoother. But I was gonna say the frosting yeah. kind of made it sweeter. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, that's better. That's better. But uh, yeah, I can't can't recommend it. Uh, hopefully, you can try it again. Um, the right ingredients, that's for sure. Um, well, especially with yeah. Shirley MacLaine. I mean, the premise itself is pretty good. Yeah. Like, I think it's a good idea for a movie. I just think the execution is just very. It's helpful. all execution. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it, but it's one of those things where I think this actually will be very popular. I think a lot of people are going to watch it, especially because there isn't a lot of original programming on Disney+. Plus. And I think a lot of people will watch it and just sort of enjoy it passively. So I think for that, like I, I think it, it's generally fine entertainment, as you said. So I think the C rating is quite there and spot on. So this film has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 29 reviews. So pretty mixed. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to our next film. Uh, I think a much better film and uh, a film that I needed to watch this past week because with, you know, I, I needed to watch more something a little bit more uh, contained. I feel like all of the films that I've seen have been so energetic and like in my face <laughs> like between noel and 1917 and knives out not that those films are bad um except for noel sort of it, it, i don't know i just needed something that a little bit more introspective and a little bit slower and a little bit more challenging and that is mickey and the bear this is the newest film written and directed by annabelle atanasio the first and film the first film thank you and she she's pretty young, right? She's she's like 26 years old, as you mentioned, because yeah. you you sort of talked about this film already. Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't know if you I think you wanted to talk a little bit more about it, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to mention that uh, Camilla Maroney, as you mentioned, but last week is in this and um, she's an Argentinian um, actress and or I think she's Argentinian American. And yeah. she was in Never Going Back. You know, it's like the first film I remember seeing her in from last year. And I think it was in the festival circuit the year before that. Uh, and I believe that's A24. Uh, yeah, that one was A24. I mean, I'll say, I, I don't know. Like, I've only seen her in this movie as far as I can recall. I mean, she might have been a supporting performance in a movie. I can't remember. But, like, she blends seamlessly into this role. Like, it's it's a oh, yeah. turn by her. Yeah. It really is. It really is. I, I almost had trouble remembering, like, it was her. Uh, definitely mm -hmm. a, a flawless performance in that respect. Uh, there's also James Badge Dale in this, who... I'm not quite as familiar by face. I, I know he's been in The Departed and mm -hmm. uh, he was in Iron Man 3. And yep. um, I think some people will recognize him from 24, which is not a show that I watched a lot of, but apparently had a, he, a role in that. Was he on that TNT show that Michael Bay produced, The Last Ship? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I never saw that one. I mean, I didn't either, but I mean, I remember seeing like the ads for it all over the place and stuff. I thought, yeah. I thought he was on that. He, he's he been in a ton of like indie things. Uh, a, lot, a lot of things that uh, some people probably haven't watched yet I, I do remember seeing him in little woods actually and um oh gosh he was in uh oh yeah only the brave from 2017 
Um, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was one of the characters in that, that, uh, oh, I shouldn't say, cause I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> so, so he's been in some stuff. Apparently I, I, I was completely wrong about, it. he was not in, uh, oh, okay. the last ship. I don't know who I was thinking of, but, um, he was in Rubicon, which I know is a pretty popular show. And, uh, I, I think this year he's in a film that I've been seeing a lot on like, um, early, like best of the decade or best of the year so far list, which was, uh, the standoff at Sparrow Creek. Which is kind of like one of those indie films. That, oh, uh, I remember. Yeah, that was in the circuit last year. Um, that's the feature debut it? of uh, yeah Hen- Henry Dunner- Dunham's film. Okay, I just remember seeing it. It's been on a couple like like in June when they make like those like best of the decade so far list. It was on a lot of those. I haven't had a chance to see uh, it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, he, um, but yeah, James um, Badgedale. He's like one of those actors who you probably don't recognize him immediately, but you've definitely seen something with him in. Yeah, it's like not to be mean. Own. He he just kind of has yeah. like a very like straight white man look. And well, so like he kind of well, no, but I mean far, but. <laughs> I'm just saying like he looks like a lot of other actors and so he he tends to be in roles like he was in 13 hours, but he's just he's just one of those guys where I don't know, he just he just he sort of I don't want to say disappears in all of his roles, but he he doesn't have a very distinctive look. Although well, I would say in this movie that's sort of different. I, I actually will push back on against that a little bit and that I think he kind of changes his look up a lot to the point where that might throw some people off because he, he tends to have a lot of different looks for each film. So I think that might be part of it. Like, I think it maybe not distinctive in that sense, but he de- I think he changes his appearances a lot for but each that's role a thing. fairly minor roles. That I th- I think what I'm saying here is that because he's able that that's the thing he's a bit of a chameleon I think that's what I'm mm-hmm. searching for where because his like basic appearance is kind of basic he can sort of get away with like trying different things in different films and like he's not it's hard to recognize him is all I'm saying mm-hmm. and so like you have to look at his filmography to be like he was in that <laughs> you know like that kind of right. thing like I'm sure if we brought up his filmography we'd be like baffled like by what we didn't we didn't know he was in well i mean i have the filmography up here right now it's like okay. you know, like he said like, like world war z lone ranger uh oh i mean he gosh. had a fairly prominent role in um only the brave and hold the dark uh from the past couple of years so like yeah he's been in a lot of stuff recently where i mean i'm sure like we like i said like people who've listened to who listen to the show and have watched the movies that we've watched have seen him and stuff it's just right. that you just don't really know him by name. And that's, I mean, it's a, tra- a credit to him. Like, that's like part of the business of being a good character actor. You just kind of blend into different roles in films, prominent or otherwise. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, so, anyway. this, this movie premiered at South by Southwest this past March, and it takes place in Montana, which uh, lends it, lends it, credence to like how beautiful it is, uh, this film. Mm-hmm. Like, just the cinematography, the sense of location. It's kind of unique in that in its setting and was trying to get across but yeah how would how would you characterize the plot of this film well i mean it's not super plot heavy but how would you describe it yeah i mean i was gonna say it's more character driven than plot driven the 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 plot itself though is mostly that we have a girl a high schooler uh like you said in montana she is recently turned 18 uh she is living with her single father who is uh, i believe an afghanistan veteran if i'm is afghanistan or iraq i think it was afghanistan but uh could okay. be wrong i think it, i was actually say i think it might be iraq but i forget off the top of my head it's been a little bit since i've seen the film but um yeah so he has pretty serious ptsd and a alcohol and drug dependence which uh, results in a fairly uh, turbulent and sometimes abusive relationship with his daughter. And 
that has uh, resulted. I mean, it's been going on for years, but in uh, the plot of the film, it, it's allowing Mickey, our main character, to recognize that she is at a pivotal point in her life where she can move on. She's an adult now, and she can either you know look at college or you know pursue her options outside of her hometown where she's lived uh, in fairly p- impoverished means throughout her life. The movie itself is just kind of chronicling that journey for her. Uh, I was just I was just going to bring up that it's sort of the inverse of Leave No Trace, where it's a very similar setup to that movie where you have, you know, a former like a war veteran who's dealing with PTSD and how his daughter has to grapple with that. And whereas in that film, the the film was slightly more on the side of both characters where you could sort of understand why they're both still in sync with each other and they don't want to be separated and that's a very beautiful and touching film about how ultimately the thomas and mckenzie's character has to decide once and for all what she wants to do and in that sense that that's more of a heartwarming story mickey and the bear is much more brutal it's a different version of that same premise where that's not the same situation for everyone um, these are actually kind of interesting companion key pieces in a way, because this explores uh, a different, darker side of these same issues that are just as valid, I think. And mm-hmm. I, I I had a hard time watching this. I think that it, it was very grueling to sit through at parts. And there were, there were some moments where I, I just couldn't quite understand the the intent where the message felt a little muddled to me. And I think that's probably on purpose. Like, I think that this is a film that's sort of playing with ambiguity in a lot of ways. I think it has a purposely ambiguous ending too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what, where did you land on it? I, I know that you like this one, you recommend it, but yeah. you, you still have had some more time on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think this is a film that, you know, do you think this is one of those like gem films of the year? Like that we were kind of talking about earlier that some more people should get their hands on this when they can. Uh, I wouldn't quite say gem, but I do think this is one of those movies that gets me pretty excited, only not because of the content and not necessarily because of the film itself, but just recognizing that this director, Annabelle uh, Anatenso, or how do you pronounce her last name? I think you pronounce it Adonacio. Adonacio, okay. Adonacio or Adonacio, something like that. Adonacio. Uh, I apologize to the Same director. Here. <laughs> if, yeah. Yes. Uh, if I'm horribly butcher your name uh it is uh not an uncommon thing unfortunately for me um it yeah i I think watching this film it's very apparent that she is a tremendously talented filmmaker especially for this being her first film uh maybe her first directing i haven't checked to see if she done she's done some short films before this but um i i do think that it's very apparent here that she is a director on the rise she has a clear vision uh she's great with actors and i think there is a very very good film in her i don't think it is completely coming out in this film but you can see moments where it really comes out uh i think particularly in the first half um i i feel like that's something that some people are going to disagree with i think people might connect more with the second half of the film because it's a little more dramatic and a little more stakes heavy but uh for me i think it's a lot of the character beats that really stand out for me uh which is why i think i like the first half of it a lot more than the second ultimately uh and i think that's mainly because the movie itself, it, it, it does fall pretty heavily into a lot of like kind of cliches and heavy tropes that we tend to see a lot uh, in the indie scene. And I think 
it's one of those things where like if people like if you watch this movie and you haven't seen a lot of indie movies, I think you won't really be bothered by that. But if you have seen a lot of movies that we mentioned and some of the ones we haven't even mentioned, like I mean, like there's definitely shades of like, say, Winter's Bone or Florida Project in this, for instance. Uh, I think this is going to seem like maybe not quite individual enough to really stand out on its own. But the thing I keep coming back to is just like the like attention to setting and characters and the vision of the film and ultimately the performances. Like I said, uh, our lead actress here, Camilla, how do you pronounce? Let's see. He's Camilla Moroni. Moroni, I think. Yeah. Moroni. Okay. Camilla Moroni. And obviously, like we said, James Spatchdale. Um, I, I think they're both really, really good in this. Um, I think they, I think James Spatchdale might get a little bit of a show your performance, which might make people more inclined to celebrate his performance. But, uh, I, I think it's, it, it's undoubtedly, Camilla's perform it's Camilla's movie and uh she is tremendous and you know you mentioned that she's done a few other things uh I'll have to check those out just to see what else she is capable of because I'm I'm very curious because the other film you mentioned the A24 one's like a very like lighthearted comedy right it's like a oh it's comedy. so different from this yeah yeah it's, it's say, hard it's, to recognize her it's, right it's it's just it's just, it seems so weird to me seeing this movie to think like oh yeah she is she did like a stoner comedy before yeah. this which you know is a credit to her versatility I'm yeah. sure but um yeah just I I uh I, I, it's going to be hard to see, uh, you know, I just see her so much as this character, but I'm sure her talents, uh, you know, allow me to see her in many different things and many different roles. So uh, I'm excited to see where she goes next. Yeah, same here. Uh, I think that, uh, and and uh, we, sh- we should mention too, because uh, you sort of brought this up, but Adonacio's filmography, this is her first writing and director credit. Uh, for anything, but she was including short an actress films. before this? She was, this? yeah, yeah. She's yeah. been in a bunch of short films. And okay. she was also, I think, one of her first uh, full-length films, not the very first one, but I think the first bigger one was the, she was in Barry, the Netflix one uh, about Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has another film that she's making, but it's a short film uh, called Safe Space. Have you heard about this? Um, Sounds familiar, but maybe I'm just thinking of something else. I think it's it's set to premiere next year. But uh, if so, probably one of the um, the fall festivals. So uh, something to keep an eye out for, because I, sh- I think she's definitely a talent in the in the making for sure. And there, there's just so much talent in this movie. Uh, I'm a fan of it. Uh, I, I would give it a B. I, I I did kind of find myself held back from some of the from this film really hitting me hard because I do think that it is just so it, it is so tropey. You know, it, it's such yes. a Sundance. Yeah. It's such a Sundance movie, um, which makes it weird that it came out South by Southwest. Oh yeah, for sure. I thought the same thing. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like you said. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It it sort of holds it back from greatness, but that doesn't hold it back I from think, being a genuinely good, entertaining film. Again, I think that's just going to be more of a thing for like people who watch a lot of films like us. Like, I, I don't see that being a problem for people who like, or if if they go in like seeing only a set number of films and they watch this, they're going to think it's like, oh, this is really good. And that's my that's my guess, at least. Well, on the other hand, I'd say this is a film sort of tailored made for people like us, people who do mm. watch a lot of films because it is a certain type of indie drama that the general public wouldn't be as immediately interested in because yeah. they don't know who Camilla Maroney is. They don't know who, you know, they're not as uh, sure. interested in like a Sundance aesthetic, right? So yeah. I'd say that that's kind of a, a flaw that can get in the way. Hopefully people will discover this, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, that'd be great. But yeah, I, I can't say that I, I see it as a film that really breaks the mold or anything. So I, I give it a mm-hmm. B. I still think it's really solid. And it, I think it's like you said, the performances are what's what carries it. And I'm just, I, I'm just really heartened to see Camilla Maroney 
doing especially work that's better than uh, what her co-star in Never Going Back did. Because I, I think we talked about it uh, the last summer. You remember the Netflix film? Oh, yeah. yeah our yeah, our yeah, last the, summer. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. With Archie Guy. With who? Oh, yeah. Archie, Archie Guy. Um, I saw a scene from that movie and it was like, <laughs> I, I, John, you saw this movie twice. <laughs> yeah. yes yes but uh like uh, maya mitchell was the actress who was in never going back with camilla maroney and mm-hmm. she she's a great actress as well uh really electric sure. performer and uh, i'm sad to say <laughs> that uh camilla maroney came out on top this year not that it's a competition of course mm-hmm. but uh i think she made the wise decision to go with uh she camilla maroney's in a bit of like a she shows up in people's like directorial debuts right because never going back was augustine frizzell mm-hmm. and that was her debut <laughs> as a director so yeah. kind of, i guess a lot she, of uh, she's a type women directors first films it seems mm-hmm. yeah that's true yes. that's true mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I would definitely say that uh pe- people should definitely check out um that one as well but mm-hmm. i think it's on amazon right uh, yeah, yeah. I think it is on Amazon. I think that's how I watched it. Uh, the last summer was not directed by uh, a woman. It was directed by oh. I forget his name, um, but some dude. Uh, I feel bad. I, some I can't some some guy. Yeah, some Jack. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably a very <laughs> wonderful person. But yeah. All right, that is Mickey and the Bear. I gave it a B, and then you graded it last week, right? What was your final grade? Yeah, I think I gave it a high B minus. Uh, I was between a B and a B minus. Um, just gonna give it a B minus, just because. Because you I just, just want to be more cool. negative than me. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> not no. That's never uh, how I grade my system. Right, right, right. Yeah. But no, no. I, I, I think I'm gonna give it a, a low, or sorry, a high B minus because um, I, I just don't think it quite stands out enough on its own to really uh, get a B for me. But I, I mean, like I said, the talent is a very apparent here from the actors and the filmmaker. Um, very excited to see what all of them do next and um i just want to make one clarification on your part john um not really clarification just kind of a a point just like when you were talking about annabelle and uh, uh, uh how you pronounce her last name again Adonacio. Uh, Adonacio. you were kind of implying that she mostly just did short films as an actress um, um i just want to she did a lot I mean, of them okay but i mean we should mention that she has a pretty prolific tv career i mean she's done nearly 50 episodes of the cbs show bull Oh, Apparently. See, I that's still going on, isn't it? I've never really gotten into her oh. her TV work. I know she was in the Nick as well, so I'm just not as familiar. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna bring that as well, but I love the Nick. Um, I didn't realize it was her. Um, but no, I was gonna just clarify. It just kind of made it seem like she just like did some acting here and there, whereas like she's on a prominent TV show on CBS, one of the biggest networks on TV. So I, I don't think it's something we should just like. I mean, off necessarily. yeah, necessarily. This is Cinemaholics. Well, I'm just kidding. I, no, I, I'm, just I mean, like, as, I'm just not as aware. Yeah. I, I, in terms of, I'm not film, either. I'm just saying yeah. she's, you know, like she, she's definitely like somebody who's working a lot. <laughs> like, right. uh, and, and in the film world, she hasn't been in a lot of feature films, but she's starting to get into that. So, uh, if I sure. was implying anything else, I don't think being in short films isn't is less than prolific uh, myself. I think that she's been in right. some terrific ones. Uh, people should check out um, anchovies, for example. That, that was, I think the first one that caught my attention with her, but uh, okay. yeah, I'll have to check that out. But um, I just, I always say it just because like there is a decent chance that people are familiar with her acting work being that she is on a, you know, top four broadcast television uh, network TV show, uh, which I haven't seen. And I don't think I ever will probably watch bowl, uh, 
no offense, but um, I, I just want to clarify that point just to just just to be just because. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Mickey and the Bear. Uh, be nice. B minus from Will. A B from me. Be nice. Yeah, be nice. Be nice. Um, all right. Let's talk about 21 Bridges. I haven't seen this one yet, uh, but you did, Will, and I want to hear what you think. This is the new film from Brian Kirk, who he directed a few episodes of Game of Thrones, some people may know. And Oh, that's uh, what other- he's from. Some other TV work, though, he uh, he worked on uh, The Riches and Brotherhood, mm-hmm. Tudors, a uh, lot, lot of TV stuff. And this this is I, I don't know if this is his first film. I'd have to look into that. But this is uh, starring Chadwick Boseman. It was produced, I believe, right by the uh, the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe. That's correct. Yeah. So that's its big uh, that's its big uh, poster marquee selling point. Right. Uh, the cast includes Sienna Miller, who I swear, Sienna Miller, I've seen her in so many things. I never, I, I don't know what she looks like. I don't understand it. Like, I can't, if somebody's like, hey, John, who is Sienna Miller? Is this a photo of Sienna Miller? I can look at that photo and be like, maybe, I don't know. But regardless, she's in this. Um, that was a weird thing to bring up. J.K. Simmons as well, Keith David, Taylor Kitsch, Stefan James, a few others. What's uh, what's one, what's 21 Bridges about, Will Ashen? Uh, is this worth checking out? Yeah, 21 Bridges is not a film I was uh, necessarily planning to check out. Just kind of happened that I ended up seeing it um, on Thanksgiving. And it was my first AMC A-list movie. So plug in that. We don't get promoted by them, but why Welcome not? Welcome to the list. Um, So the plot is fairly simple. It's uh, centered around a New York cop played by Chadwick Boseman uh, who uh, lost his father. He, he was also a cop early in his life. Uh, he, he kind of, uh, he, he's used that to fuel his own cop career where he is, uh, very prolific at what he does. And he's known for kind of getting the job done fast and quick, especially for kind of time sensitive crimes, like the one that's centered in this film, where there are two criminals who during a cocaine, uh, robbing, robbing situation end up killing a series of cops. And they're on the run and uh, the police is trying to, you know, avenge their colleagues and get these common criminals uh, caught. And they essentially close the city down for a night in order to trap them in New York and catch them. And that's like the whole idea of the 21 bridges being that they close the bridges Hmm. to keep them isolated into the island. That just seems Uh, like a really dumb idea to me. I think it's cooler in theory than it is like if it, it would never happen in real life because it's just like you, you want us to do what now? Yeah. That's... <laughs> For how long? <laughs> in the most in the busiest transport city in the world? Just quarantine uh, millions of yeah. people? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, if anything, they'd just get caught in traffic, I feel like. Uh, and then you could just like catch them that way. Um, but um, it's also very apparent that like even though this movie takes place in New York, it is filmed uh, in Philadelphia. Um, I'm kind of disappointed and bummed that they didn't film the movie in Pittsburgh because we are the city of bridges and it just seemed like a big oversight. But, uh, you know, yeah, so I remember bridge. seeing I remember seeing so many bridges in a beautiful day in the neighborhood and being like, wow, that is a city full of bridges. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few bridges in Perksby and Wellflower as well. Um, yeah. So anyway. The movie itself, I, I keep alluding it to different topics that don't really relate much to the movie or only to tangentially relate to the film because there's really not that much to the film itself. It's just kind of mediocre. It's 
basically one of those what you see is what you get kind of deals. Um, I kind of admire it for being like a kind of throwback action suspense thriller type film where it's more just kind of about the nitty gritty, you know, suspense and the characters aren't super fleshed out, but they, they're riding more on the charisma of the actors uh, than really, you know, trying to like make a fully realized film. There's something fairly nostalgic about the idea uh, for me. And uh, I, I kind of appreciate it on those grounds. However, and I just, I guess I forgot to mention this earlier, but I was also uh, decently buzzed when I watched this movie because it was Thanksgiving. So that definitely uh, helped uh, as far as my viewing experience. But um, as far as the film itself, it's just perfunctory basically in most sense it's not poorly made by any means but you can kind of tell that it is made by a tv director moving into the cinema landscape because it doesn't really have any particular style or cinematic flair it's just kind of more competent than anything else it 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 is uh decently well paced i was never really bored by it by any means but it's more the type of film you'd catch on hbo or redbox i think than you'd seek out in theaters and uh for that i'd give it a c plus you said fine i guess it, it, it doesn't really uh push the mold or really have a long resonance in my brain but am i mad i saw it not really it was fine so if you're kind of looking for an old-fashioned throwback thriller you might want to seek this out when it's on the video but otherwise uh I think you can sip this one fairly comfortably, especially in the midst of award season right now. I, I can't expect 21 Bridges to be topping any top 10 lists or making uh, too many, uh, pl- having too many places in the Oscar nomination scene, but we'll see. Well, I guess you could say, even though there were 21 of them, it was a bridge to nowhere. Hmm. Hmm. What were you thinking about that? I was talking about, or was that just off the like, fly? Like in the last like 10 seconds. So sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. It looks like, that's basically what the critics are saying as well. 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the, the box office has not been good. It's been out for two weekends now. It's only made $20 million, $22 million. And it's a $33 million budget. So not not a big flop, but definitely not looking like a film that's going to make much of its money back. I really don't know why they released it now. Like, this is a very spring, like, winter, or late winter kind of movie. Mm, yeah like maybe january february when there's not as much going on and people... i was thinking yeah like more march like this is a very march movie you think so ah. yeah because it's not like like i said it's not terrible yeah, you're it's the not... one who saw it so yeah right i mean it's like it's more mediocre than anything but it's like if they had released it with less competition and in a season that's not as award heavy i feel like this could have done okay business especially because it's like you know cheswick bozeman coming off of uh black panther uh, we have, you know, also J.K. Simmons, uh, Taylor Kitsch, Sienna Miller. Not like, you know, like a, like an all-star cast necessarily, but like a decent cast. And, you know, it's like a fairly yeah. degree premise. It, it could make an okay amount of money in the spring, late winter season, I think. But I'm not making these decisions. I'm just watching the movies. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like it's not one that people need to rush out and see anytime soon. Let's get into our next one. I'm going to be really quick about this one, but I saw Let It Snow. The new Netflix film that, uh, my goodness, really, really just uh, put a coal in my stocking. I'll tell you that much. Uh, this is a new film directed by Luke Snellen, uh, who's he's an English screenwriter and he's also a director as well. I, I'm not as familiar with his work, 
but uh, he, he's kind of supposed to be more well known for kind of being like a light lighthearted guy, lighthearted movies and romance and things like that. Uh, this is a screenplay from Kay Cannon. And that, that was what had me more interested in this. Uh, she's best known for Pitch Perfect, uh, the first one. And uh, her first film was Blockers that she directed. And it's it's a little sad to see that she didn't direct this one because I have a feeling she probably would have given it a little bit more uh, something. Like, I, I, I'm not even sure what it is, but this film is a bit of a train wreck, Will. I, I'm not sure what happened here, but this is based on a young adult novel, uh, also called Let It Snow, that was written by Maureen Johnson, John Green, and Lauren Miracle. And it, it's been out for a couple of weeks. I haven't heard anybody talk about this film. It's not something that I think has sort of had any sort of like discourse with anybody we know. I don't know anybody else who's seen it, except for maybe like one or two people uh, I know through Twitter and things like that. And it, it's kind of surprising because the cast is pretty great. I mean, you have... Isabella Monaire is in this, um, who kind of kind of having a big year, right? With Dora the Explorer. She was in last year's Instant Family. Uh, but you also have Shamik Moore from Dope, who was in this. Kiernan Shipka, who has also been having a huge year. She's been really killing it with uh, her Netflix series, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, she's best known, of course, for Mad Men, her role in that show. But yeah, she's just, uh, she and Netflix are, they're going out. And they're in a serious relationship, I think it's fair to say. Uh, we also have Odea Rush here, who I didn't see her in Dumplin', but I think the last film I remember her from was probably Goosebumps, the 2015 film. And I remember liking her in that and being like, oh, this is an interesting actress. In this movie, like she's grown up a bit, right? And th- there was just something very odd about this performance, where I was like, there's, something has happened in between this and Goosebumps, and I don't know what it is, and I think it's the movie and not her. That's all I want to say about that. Uh, but then also Liv Hewson, who's my favorite character in this. Um, she's probably best known for, uh, she's uh, one, I think she's one of the kids in a Santa Clarita diet. And she she's probably she probably has the more interesting uh, B stories in this. This is a movie with nothing but B stories. Jacob Batalon is also in this. Uh, he's from, he's of course Ned. Uh, Ned from the Spider-Man Tom Holland movies, right? Uh, he has He has a little bit of a role here. And then Joan Cusack, who plays a, nice. a tinfoil, tinfoil-wearing tow-tuck driver. Right. She only interacts with one other character, Odea Rush, um, which is the biggest problem. You don't oh, no, she actually. <laughs> well, she does interact with one other person. Sorry. No, I mean, like, um, you got Joan but, Cusack uh, as a tinfoil-wearing truck driver, and that doesn't, doesn't make it worth a watch. So I'm very curious where they messed up. They really messed up. They, they did not find a way... To yeah, make that work, yeah, which tells you all you need to know about this movie. <laughs> really did. Uh, no, this this is a lot like Snow Day. Oh. Uh, so it's like a cross between Snow Day and Love Actually. Do you think our listeners remember Snow Day? <laughs> that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> okay. I'm sure some of them do. I mean, I do too. I remember but I mean, Snow just Day. Saying, I mean, uh, that sure. was a formative film. Okay. For me. Uh, that's, that's the film that gave us Josh Peck. No, I I just I just love the confidence here. It's like, oh yeah, it's it's what it's a it's a traditional snow day type movie. As if like people are constantly talking <laughs> about snow day in our day to day nomenclature. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like right after people watch Manchester by the Sea, right. they're like, well, you know, I I thought it was interesting that uh, the parallels, Casey Affleck, yeah, the parallels to snow day are are hard to ignore, <laughs> undeniable. <laughs> but yes. 
Snow Day, the classic Nickelodeon film from, what was it, like 2003? 2000. Uh, but no... It is a very similar concept. Oh, man. Was it Chevy Chase in that, too? He was, yes. Uh, what a trip. So this is a more Christmassy movie than that one, uh, because it's actually like it's, a, it's set in Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of more like Love Actually, too, where you have just a lot of like a lot of different stories going on at the same time. There are no main characters. It's, it's an ensemble piece. And it's like jumping around on like this day where it's Christmas Eve and everyone's been snowed in town. You know, nobody, you can't use Uber, right? And so like a train literally stops on the tracks and there's a bunch of like disparate love stories and uh, breakup stories too ooh, that are going on. And I, I don't want to dive into any of them because they're not interesting. Like, none of these stories are very interesting at all. Like, there are ones that are more fun to follow than others. I think the worst one by far is the one with Kieran and Shipka, which is so annoying because she's such a great actress. She's in this, I'm in love with my best friend, but she doesn't know it sort of thing. And the guy is played by Mitchell Hope, who I've never seen him in anything. I think this might be one of his first roles. And... It's so vanilla. It, it's so insipid. It, it's just he's in love with his best friend. And that's all there is to it. And you're like, when is this going to become interesting? <laughs> like the, the more interesting stories like you have uh, Liv Hewson's character who is she's out. But uh, the woman, the girl she has a crush on is not ready to be like out. And they have like a thing. You know, it, it has its moments. It's very that it's even probably even more cookie cutter than some of the other stories. But then you also have Isabella Monera and Shamik Moore who sort of have this like, you know, whirlwind romance. He's like a famous uh, singer who I, I, I don't, it, he's supposed to be like on the level of like Usher where like people can just like recognize him on the street. Like he's uber famous. Like he's not just like, I have a feeling there's some, people who are singers who are maybe pop singers or whatever, who you wouldn't quite recognize them in public unless like, I don't know, like you were like a big fan of them, but he, like everybody in this town knows who this guy is. So that, that part was a, a little hard to put like my finger on of like, what kind of, like what kind of famous is he? But regardless, this is just a really, it's kind of boring, pointless little movie. I uh, I'd say Noel is more fun. Noel has more like, and I'm just, I'm just talking about recent Christmas movies I've seen. It, it has more moments that you can kind of be like, yeah, snow cone, but in let it snow, it's, it really is just such a, it's such a Xerox of better films. Um, and even some films that aren't as good. I'm not sure why they would make a copy of a copy of that. So I, I don't recommend this at all. It, it's kind of just plain bad. I give it a C minus and I, I really worry uh, about like the the future of some of these actors who I like. And I'm not worried about Joan Cusack, but I am a little annoyed that this concept of her as a tinfoil tow truck driver has been squandered. It's going to be years before we're going to be ready for that to make its return uh, as needed. So yes, yeah, sad, sad to say that is, that is the verdict. I think a lot of these actors are going to be fine coming out of this. I think Isabella, Isabella Manier, Kieran Shipka, Shamik Moore, th- these, these actors are already on like an ascent right now. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think Jacob Batalon kind of knows his niche at this point. Like, I don't think he's an actor who is like, he, he's, he's game for anything, it seems like. And he's, he basically knows what to do in whatever role he is. Like, he's not different in any of the movies I've seen him in. Like, he's just always kind of Ned. And that's fine, because I like Ned. I like Ned. But, you know, he he's not really striving for anything else. And then there are some other actors I'm curious about. Uh, there is a YouTuber in this, like a pretty prominent YouTuber, apparently, uh, Anna K. Akana who is uh, the love interest of the Liv Hewson character. And I was really interested in in her sort of like their, their little story. And I thought she was more interesting, but the movie just doesn't care enough about her. And it, it was kind of annoying. Like we didn't get enough of her, I thought. Uh, but I, th- I think that uh, she's she's clearly somebody also on the rise. Like she has like a YouTube channel that is like really, really popular, like millions of subscribers. And uh, I don't know about A Day of Rush. That, that one... That that's a she's a big question mark for me. I don't, I don't know if you saw Dumplin. Yeah, uh, actually you did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, I remember you talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's let it snow. I say C minus, mm-hmm. bah humbug, all that. D- don't don't give this one a shot. It's uh it's uh it's just gonna leave, leave you a little cold, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but it, that's not to say it has any frostbite. Sure. So, all right, all right. That's let it snow. Uh, we just have one more film before we finally get into Knives Out, and that's By the Grace of God, yeah. which is a French-Belgian film mm. directed by Francois Ozan. You saw this. Uh, I, I don't know too much about this film, Lashin. I You're kind of a bringing up something that's not really on my radar sure. as much. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> who's in this, and uh, is, this a, is this a film you recommend? Should we be checking this one out? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to preference uh, real quick that, I mean, we've been having some fun here. Uh, saying some jokes and having some laughs and we're going to have some more fun uh, when we talk about Knives Out but this is a pretty heavy serious film so I apologize if I kind of bring things down a bit for a few minutes but uh, yeah this film is uh, like you said French film new film from uh, Francois Ouizan. Uh he's probably best known from like a couple films from the early 2000s uh, Eight Women and Swimming Pool I've only seen Swimming Pool uh, of his films before this um, but he's been more well known like kind of more for like his like I guess kind of like more darkly comedic films, I think, before this, if I can, I'm getting the right idea. But this one is a bit of departure in that it's a very, very heavy, serious film about the uh, cyclical abuse that's been going on in the or child abuse, I should specify, in the Catholic Church, uh, the French Catholic Church. Um, the film has been compared a lot to like Spotlight and how it's about like kind of unveiling the years of, uh, or I guess even generations of abuse that's been going on in the Catholic Church, uh, through, uh, through three victims that are portrayed throughout the film as adults. Um, the movie just kind of, it, it's real life events have been, it's portrayed, but I don't know if the main characters themselves, I think they might be fictionalized. I'm not 100% sure about that. But uh, this is a film actually we were playing at the theater where I work, where uh, to give you a little bit of insight into what's going on in my personal life, uh, I was initially out of a job earlier this week, and then we uh, opened up the theater uh, to play this film. Uh, And so I wasn't really expecting to see this film or to be employed uh, this week. So it was kind of a surprise to see both. But um, the film itself, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it it definitely is taking, you know, a very somber, heavy look at this uh, subject matter as well as it should. Uh, It's very uncomfortable to watch. Uh, It may be the toughest film to watch this year for me, which is certainly saying something considering a lot of the films we've watched this year. 
but I think that's for the better. Um, I think the movie itself, it, it's very unflinching. It's not always quite assured in its style, but I think it, it definitely knows what it wants to say about this matter. And I, I, I think it's not going to be an easy film a lot for, for a lot of people to watch, but I think its desire to expose this these years of uh, abuse into the uh, Catholic Church is definitely noble, and I think it does it in a way that's very humane and sensitive. And um, my only real criticisms just kind of come from the way that it focuses on three of our main characters isn't really quite fluid. It, it, it kind of bounces quite rather swiftly between the three of them in a way that uh, was a little jarring for me as I was watching it. And um, I, I kind of felt like they, they, they didn't really give like full resolution for any particular story. But at the same time, I get that's the intent that like this is something that doesn't really have any like clear resolution. Uh, that it is something that they'll have to face for, you know, their full lives. And it is a terrible, horrible thing. And uh, it's definitely a hard to watch film, as I mentioned earlier. And it, it, I can definitely see it not quite finding uh, an audience stateside just based on the subject matter but um if you do get a chance to check it out i definitely think it's one worth seeing so i'm gonna give it a firm b nice yeah there's only one other francois on film i've seen uh, i haven't seen swimming pool but uh i really liked his film young and beautiful oh yeah it's the other from, yeah the uh, other one that's pretty well known from him yeah 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 i, I remember because uh charlotte rampling was in it and i think that's why yeah. i was on my radar she's in a lot of his films yeah. and uh not this one though yeah i think it was nominated for palm d'Or, but didn't win I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So this one, um, yeah. the Grand Jury Prize, I think, at the Belgian Film Festival, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, interesting. Okay. If I if I caught that right, yeah. Well, that's by the grace of God, and uh, I don't know how to say the French version of that name, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Do you know if it's on streaming or it sounds like it's still kind of like playing in uh, the February circuit right now? Yeah, I mean, or the, uh, the festival circuit. It might be streaming. Um, internationally I, I think it's it came out earlier this year in uh, different countries i think in the u.s it's still mm. it's the actual run at least till the end of the year uh after that it might hit streaming but for now yeah i, I think it's a it's a title it'll probably get on streaming by beginning of next year wonderful okay well that is by the grace of god let's finish out this episode with our featured review saved probably one of the best for last i don't know yep. <laughs> let's talk about knives out Knives Out is a new whodunit murder mystery film. I don't know. Murder is kind of a questionable word, but a murder mystery aesthetic, let's say that. A whodunit. Dinner theater aesthetic. A whodunit. It was written, produced, and directed by Ryan Johnson, whose last film, of course, was Star Wars The Last Jedi. He's best known for films like Brick, Brothers Bloom, and Looper as well. And this this is a very modern version of the whodunit story. Like, take Murder in the Orient Express, take like a classic Agatha Christie novel on that setup, take Clue, right, from the, the late 80s. And this is sort of like a, I, I don't know what's like a, a really fair comparison, but it's like a, a more progressive take on all that. Or like, yeah. it feels like a step forward for that genre in that way, where you feel like Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson is taking that idea, that genre, and doing something new, but also in tribute to what came before. Yeah, I mean, it has kind of like a novelistic approach at times. Not in the sense like like a Wes Anderson movie where it's like it shows the chapters on screen or anything, but like kind of plays out like a book would at times where it's like we get like one chapter events and then it's like this is the next section where we're kind of flipped on its head a little bit and it's a pretty fast. Well, yeah, so I, I want to say then because one of the reasons we want to save this for the last two is because we want to talk about this film in a little bit more detail. Uh, we're we're going to do like a spoiler-free section of this 
But th- this is one of those films where we will say certain things that I think are better left experience fresh. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't seen the film. I-, I think this is one of those cases where you really have to extra emphasize the importance of giving it a shot before you listen to us rant about it. But we will try to provide something of a review if you're still on the fence about this, right? So with that said, we're going we're gonna to get into some of the details of the setup of this film then. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of its structure. I don't want to give away too much of the structure because it is just so much fun figuring out what kind of movie this actually is and not to give anything away. Right. Mm -hmm. So the setup is that Christopher Plummer is the the person who dies. Right. Mm -hmm. Very beginning of the film. He dies. Not a spoiler, obviously. He is the patriarch of this really well-to-do family that is built on his fortune. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a famous book author, mystery author. So you have a little bit of that. uh, Yeah meta narrative going on i'm trying to think uh you know who he's like inspired by or anything like i'm trying to think of a like kind of real life comparison for the character i thought it was probably drawing from murder she wrote a little bit i guess i mean but, uh, yeah, i was thinking like a re- like a like an author though like is there anybody from like real life that's like you can point comparison to this like real life yeah uh i i mean i don't know <laughs> it's not like it's not like a stephen thought. king or like uh no like, and he's like more well renowned than like someone like a like um like a John Grisham or something. So it's kind of hard to. Well, I don't know. John Grisham has a lot of. I, I don't know. I, I to me, I think Ryan. That's not the important sure. thing. I think Ryan Fair Johnson yeah. is just I'm, trying. I'm diluting to like, the conversation. Sorry. Well, diluting. Sure. You're like di- diverting. Yeah, it's late. Diverting. Uh, whatever. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. late. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is a huge cast, uh, a lot of heavy hitters. Uh, this this family is sort of left in the wake of a crisis with the uh, Christopher Plummer's character. Uh, he has passed on, and it looks like it's a suicide, but there's still like an investigation going on because there's some mystery behind some the play. circumstances behind his death. Hmm? Some foul play. Perhaps. Yeah. We don't know. We really Potentially. don't know. So, Lakeith Stanfield is one of the head detectives in charge of this case. He's interviewing... Uh, all of these different family members and it is really fun too how the, the film sort of reveals who they are in relation to each other. We're introduced to Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, plenty of others. And then uh, eventually Chris Evans and Ana de Armas, who was the nurse to Christopher Plummer, who as soon as as soon as this film started to get going, I was like, she's the main character of this film. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being true. That ended up being the case where she really is the central character in what is otherwise like a very well-rounded ensemble. But then the other character to sort of like interrupt the proceedings here is Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig plays a very, I don't know if flamboyant's the right word, but uh, definitely a dynamic and bombastic detective, private investigator character. He's sort of like a master at his craft, right? I was going to say, I mean, definitely the... Hercules, how you, how you, is it Hercule? Hercule Perot, yeah, Hercule yeah, Perot, yeah, yeah. He he fills that role. Uh, he kind of is adding his own thing to it, where he has like a sort of like a Louisiana, like aristocratic Southern accent. Oh yeah, I des- right? I described it as um, Frank Underwood playing Lieutenant Columbo by way of Foghorn Leghorn. Yes, yes, there it is. <laughs> uh, he is he is Detective Benoit Blanc, one of the best names of a character this year and uh, there are a lot of interesting names in this like uh chris evans play literally plays a character named ransom mm-hmm. uh it's a little over the top but at the same time 
I, I, I kind of excuse it because given that it's like an author of great renown in a mystery novel, uh, I, I kind of like that he also extended his kids to have kind of weird random names like that as well. I, I thought that was fun. Like he like turned his life yeah, into like a clue board. Not all of them. Yeah, no. Well, the weird thing, he doesn't name that character because he's his grandson, mm-hmm. right? But just like and the legacy, his daughter, his legacy is well, his daughter, cool. his daughter's named Linda. Right. His son is named Walter. Um, I, I don't remember any of the other names being that out of place, right? Okay, fair His enough. His name is Harlan. Sure. I don't know. Well, All right, fair I enough. Think, yep. I don't know if this holds water. All right, that's I, I'll accept when I'm wrong. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, and we should also say Ransom is his middle name. Right. And I, I'm just so curious. Maybe he did name his grandson. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Linda was a big fan of one of his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, uh, it seems like there's something more to his death. And in order to figure out what is going on and why he's even there in the first place. Uh, Daniel Craig's character, Detective Blanc, enlists the nurse of Christopher Plummer's character, Harlan Thromby, uh, Marta, played by Anna de Armas, to aid him in the investigation. And I think it's pretty clear that there are some secrets of her own that might inform her role and everything going on in this. Uh, This is a fantastic movie. I I think this is just, this is one of those movies that you, you just love to see it. You love to see movies that are just firing on all cylinders. You know, it's it's not pretentious. It's not trying to be anything more than it is. And it's just, I thought this was just thoroughly satisfying entertainment. I know a lot of people who don't go to the movies a lot have been checking this one out sight unseen, uh, just based on like the marketing and word of mouth and fully loving it. I just think it's a, a genuine crowd pleaser of a movie mm-hmm best sipped warm in the theater without any other information. So if, if that's all I need to say about it, I, I just think this is a really good film. I think, yeah, it, it's a B plus for me. I'm going to just put it out there. Uh, just a really entertaining piece of work. Uh, what was your take on Knives Out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I agree with basically everything you said. Maybe the only thing I might push back on is that I think it's a little more political than you might be suggesting there. Like, I mean, like the themes of the film are not very subtle in that regard. Oh, it's yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very political, but I think people are still going to engage with it. Oh, for sure. Like, I don't think it's it. I don't think it's so political that it's going to put people off. I think that it's Maybe. political enough that it'll make you think about certain mm-hmm. things that it'll probably make some people uncomfortable and other people more or less uncomfortable. But I don't think it's the kind of I don't think it would should or needs to ruin I don't think it's ruined by no. It won't ruin general. the movie. I don't think. I mean, hopefully not. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just letting people. I mean, I'm just making sure it's not like it's, it's like you know, like a completely lighthearted event. Like it definitely has stuff on its mind. It has political uh, ideas. Yeah, I mean, play. I never said it was. I never said it was lighthearted. I, okay, fair. Uh, enough, I just fair think enough. that. Yeah. I'm just hearing that a lot of people are going and seeing it, and they're appreciating it for its mainstream appeal. And that's great because it, mm-hmm. you're right. It also has some thoughtful things to say. There are ideas here. And I just think that it has like a really, just a really great ending. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those movies where the end is actually really good. Yep. Uh, I My my flaw with this is that I saw too much of it coming. Like I, I found a little bit too predictable, like certain aspects of the mystery. Uh, but there was enough in it that was revelatory and different and unique that I, I give it mostly a pass on all that. Yeah, I mean... I will say, like, I mean, for me, Ryan Johnson's a filmmaker who I think with each consecutive film uh, leading up to this, I mean, uh, I think he's only gotten better. Like, I mean, I know some people really love Brick, 
Um, I thought Brick was fine, maybe a little too cutesy for me, but I appreciate it as like a fun little genre exercise. Uh, enjoyed Brothers Bloom, Bloom. Um, you know, Looper I liked quite a bit, but I mean, I think for me, yeah, it was like Last Jedi. I mean, much to the protest of some people online, I thought that was him really coming into his own. I guess well before that, it was the Ozymandias episode of Breaking Bad. But I mean, for me, like from a cinematic standpoint, uh, Last Jedi was like, here is like a filmmaker who even in the studio system and this huge, uh, you know, IP of IPs is able to make this very personal, uh, you know, self like a filmmaker driven film with a lot of heavy themes and, you know, stuff we can really grapple with. And it's just like, clearly this guy is a filmmaker with so much to say and uh, so much style to give. And uh, I I think this is a really great exercise and genre playing for him while also staying true to what we expect from a traditional Ryan Johnson film, such as a traditional Ryan Johnson film might be. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely echo what, like what you said. I think it's really fun. Um, I don't know if it's really stuck with me beyond the theatrical experience as much as I expected to. Like, I agree with you that, like, as a crowd-pleasing, very smart, very engaging, twisty little film, uh, I had a lot of fun with it, especially as it kind of unraveled in ways I wasn't anticipating. But it's not one I've really, like, thought that much about after it was done. I was just, like, remember thinking, like, that's a really solid, highly entertaining movie that I, I got what I wanted from this exactly, and... Yet, like, I don't, I don't know if it'll be in my top 10 for that reason, just because, like, it hasn't really, like, left any, like, deep impact for me. I just think it was really solid and held together well. But uh, I'll, uh, maybe if we talk about more of the spoilery mm-hmm. aspects, I might turn around and find myself appreciating it even more. But, uh, yeah, I think B plus is really on the mark for this. That's basically where I'm right now. I, I have to agree. I, I don't think I'm going to. F- be able to find a place for this in my top 10 but it's sad because i do find some of it so much of it really refreshing and again you just love to see a film that's original and not based on anything i mean it's obviously based on things it's based on things that have come before but just not in a a source material or slavish to source material aspect where it it really is trying to do its own thing Mm -hmm. And I, I think it, it just accomplishes its mission statement. I think its mission statement is to be pure entertainment. And, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. It didn't have a, just a very lasting effect on me either. It wasn't my favorite experience at the theater this year. It wasn't my favorite story. These aren't my favorite characters. But I think it all just comes together so well that I just really appreciate this. Yeah. Like I just, I'm just really glad this exists. Right. And that it's so easy to recommend. Like, it's so easy to tell people like, oh, this is one of those movies you'll watch and like, you'll get something out of it. Like, you'll actually have a really good time in the theater. Mm -hmm. And it's less, it's less risky. And that's probably why like some of it does sort of like, sort of stop short of like true greatness for Mm -hmm. me, because it's not even really trying for that, really. Uh, I'm curious because some people are real, they have their knives out for this film and they're ready to call it like an absolute masterpiece, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the best films ever, stuff like that. And, you know, I understand the enthusiasm because it, that that's how it feels to just have that experience and um, to sort of like be surprised by something. I'm a little worried though, that the success of this film is going to mean that we're getting a new knives out where instead of these characters, Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc gets to be Poirot in another mystery film. And it's not going to be directed by Ryan Johnson. That's, that's probably for sure. And it's, it's going to lose its appeal, right? Yes. Kenneth Branagh is going to get his second <laughs> chance with a uh, murder mystery. Well, he's film. making a, another one with uh, like a sequel to Murder on the Orange Express Yeah, right that's now, true. That's true. With Army Hammer and stuff. 
And uh, I'm 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 slightly interested in that, and I, but th- this to me seems like a fresher property for sure. Mm-hmm. Like the the modern twists on it, setting in it being in modern day is a big selling point, yeah. just because it doesn't have all that fluff. It's able to uh, be for our time mm-hmm. um, in a way that a lot of whodunits aren't, because it, I, that's the thing. the The best case scenario for this is that we're, the genre is going to be revitalized, hopefully, uh, in a way that we didn't get with Murder on the Orient Express. You and I talked about the film a couple years ago now, and that that was not a film that really had an impact on either of us. I liked and it. I mean, I remember enjoying it, but yeah, it's a, but it didn't have an impact. Like it, no, no, it definitely but, didn't affect the yeah. drama or the. But I the enjoyed genre. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. I I fell asleep. But <laughs> Knives yeah. Out, I did not fall asleep. But I feel like Knives Out is the kind of film that is going to inspire a little bit. Sure. Like, I think it's, it actually is going to inspire people to make their own mysteries now. And um, possibly even far into the future, I think people will cite Knives Out as like, oh, the, I was inspired to do this whodunit because I love Knives Out so much, True. right? Because um, it's one of the rare modern films that does it so well. Uh, I think people will they'll look at this, Clue, and a bunch of Agatha Christie work. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm a fan. I, I, I think this is, uh, I'm, I'm glad it's being successful. Like, it's that, you know, winter season surprise hit. Mm-hmm. And that's just wonderful to see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially because this is the type of film like we, you know, critics and us in particular, I think we really want to champion like films like, yeah, like, why don't we get more movies like this where it's like original non IP driven films that are smart filmmaker driven and stuff like that. And we got one. Usually what happens in scenarios like this is that they like tank and they become called classics. And this time it's actually, you know, finding its audience and becoming a, you know, at least decent success. So it's just, it's very heartwarming all around. So it's glad, it, it, I'm glad personally to see it succeed as well. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think this is finding its audience a little bit easier? Do you think it's the timing? Do you think it's the cast? Do you think it's Ryan Johnson? Um, I think it was smart to put this one around Thanksgiving. It's like a kind of family-based movie. And, and it's PG-13, so it's like, you know, families can feel uh driven to want to see it and kind of it's edgier than frozen 2 <laughs> for sure sure but um but no i mean there's like an old-fashioned appeal to this like you like you said like you don't really get a lot of whodunits especially like original ones that aren't you know based on some sort of book but it doesn't feel like you know you're seeing like your dad's like book collection turn into a movie it's like a fairly modern film from an up-and-coming filmmaker with a really you know solid cast of people uh, and you know, I mean, I, I wasn't crazy about the promotions and the trailers for this, but it does have a kind of spunky high energy thing that I could see appealing to people. And, uh, I think just this combination of factors worked in its favor. So, you know, it's just, it's nice to see. All right. Well, that is a B plus for me, B plus for you. And at this point, honestly, I don't have really any spoilers to get into, but okay. which is surprising. <laughs> I know. Is that weird? I thought we would, but I feel like I've said everything that I want to say, but we're going to open it up for spoilers now because I wonder if you do. Uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled on Knives Out, you don't, you know, none of that stuff. Uh, we'll see you next week at this point. Uh, from here on out, we're going to get into spoilers for Knives Out. Will, what do, what do you have to say about this film in a more spoilery fashion? Uh, sure. I mean... I, I really didn't know that much about the film other than just like seeing the trailer, like the, f- the original trailer a lot in theaters, like it would always play before the movie. So, I mean, I personally wasn't to say to be like the mystery aspect of it being eliminated like way before I think the first half of the movie is done and it becomes more of a character piece where it's just like we know who quote unquote killed this character uh, and it just like we know yeah. why it happened or how it happened. 
It's just like kind of like there's a secondary mystery right. or there's a few secondary mysteries that have to be resolved, right. but it is unique in how it's like, okay, the, the core of this movie, especially in the second act, isn't to find out who done it, but to root for the person mm-hmm. to not get caught. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's just such a brilliant, uh, it, it worked really well on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the one of the few times where it's like for a good chunk of the movie, you're just like, I hope the detective doesn't <laughs> solve the case. And it's just fascinating in that respect. And then, you know, like by the end of the movie or like by the third act, at least you're just like, oh, and then you're turned around and you're like, oh yeah. So you do want to figure it out once you figure out that like she is kind of caught in uh, the situation that is like, you know, not really trying to, to get her. Well, I guess it is trying to get her but it's not to frame her but necessarily but uh well i don't know i don't know what i'm saying it's late but um yeah it's just a very twisty but not like in a way that feels like forced twisty it more like it, it it feels way more organic than these type of films normally do as far as the plotting and it's just very fun and exhilarating to see i agree i agree i uh yeah i when i was watching this movie i, I as soon as the toxicology report stuff came into mm-hmm. it i figured it out and there were certain moments, but it was one of those things where you feel rewarded when you figure stuff out in this movie. Like there's a whole thing with like the dogs barking. And when that happened, like, I, I just remember like the person I was with, we both were like, oh my gosh, that means that, you know what I mean? Like you feel smart for, right. for predicting what happens. I had the opposite experience with last Christmas where I felt smarter than the film. Well, I think the thing about this movie that I appreciate is that I wasn't really trying to find out the twists. Uh, such as it would be because like once they eliminated the like who done it aspect of it i was just like okay i'm just very curious to see where it's gonna go next like is it gonna like go in a way i anticipate to is it gonna go a completely different direction like i was just more entertained yeah. with this like the aspect of like you've thrown out what i expected this film to be but you're still enthralling me actually i'm more with the movie now that's different than what i anticipated weirdly enough so um that's i think really credit to ryan johnson that like you can like basically you know turn a movie completely on its heel give people something they weren't expecting at all but still keep them highly entertained and engaged throughout without making them feel like they were cheated out of their viewing experiences uh i i just think it's it's also a testament to how you can really watch this film again and now that you know where it's gonna go you can just go through it again and like feel you know sort of catch things that you might have missed before and it's it's also rewarding on the second time around i i suspect so so that's another thing that's to from, sort of credit with yeah I'm curious about that. What were you going to say, though? Oh, like if you'll you'll still enjoy mm-hmm. it, like the second time? Well, I just don't know what it's going to be like. I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah, I just, I personally, I think that I'll have a great time because like now that you have the full picture, you can go back and catch what you miss and all that. I think that this movie does work to in other aspects. Like, I just think that it's a compelling family mm-hmm. drama about this group of yeah. misfits unlikable misfits mm-hmm. for the most part who are being like extra you know exiled by their their patriarch for reasons that make sense like i love how it, usually in this scenario like everyone usually does have a motive for murdering mm-hmm. but in this case they all suck yeah. and uh you don't you you tend to like look at that and be like oh well that 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 it's because the patriarch is a bad person but in this case he's like one of the only good people mm-hmm. in the story yeah and even though I thought it was a little bit forced of like how all that stuff goes down with like how the will gets transferred over and all of that, I do think it serves really well the plot because when you watch this family turn on Marta, mm. it is such a revealing and I thought affecting yeah. moment where you just really it it that's where a lot of the social commentary comes in for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know because of course like some of the the characters who have like certain political considerations 
are going to instantly become very selfish as we would expect, right? Yeah. But then to show how that also happens with people who are who tend to be more self-righteous about their views on things and uh, they tend because they look at this this woman is like, oh, she's part of the family mm-hmm. and she's one of us. And but no, not really. Like the, that, there is a clear line there. This movie actually reminded me of Parasite in oh, that way, yeah. in the way that that family treats the uh, the other family, where it's like there's a line mm-hmm. that per- they better not cross the line. And when they cross the line, this film kind of explores another side of that. That uh, another interesting double feature, I bet, is uh, to pair Knives Out with Parasite. Mm-hmm. I bet that would be fascinating. Definitely, yeah, I bet so. Um, no, I agree with you. Yeah, that was actually something I was going to bring up as well in our spoiler section is that I really appreciate that this movie didn't like, because a lot of these movies, like, you know, with the rich family, there's, there's going to always be like one that's like decent. And I guess you can kind of say that's the case with Christopher or yeah, Christopher Plummer. But like, I like for the most part of like of the living people and their main characters, like none of them are really good people. Like at best, like Catherine Langford, I guess, is like the closest to good. But even she is, but she's not, but she's not. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, she, yeah, she yeah. still has fairly selfish intentions and she's kind of like putting on a face for the, yeah. the once push comes to shove. So yeah, I, I appreciate that aspect a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I think where the kind of parasite aspects or comparisons come in where like that movie, it's like, you kind of expect one of them to be like smarter than they let on like the dad or like maybe even the mom in that case. But it's just like, no, they're all just like dumb and aloof. Yeah. Yeah. But one last note for me is uh, yeah. A lot of these performances were good. It's always great seeing chris evans kind of do something different sort of shed his captain america image uh yeah. ana de armas love her so much i i just mm-hmm. yeah I, I i was a little concerned with how things have been going with things like uh knock knock and whatever but i, I think this and blade runner 2049 have more than solidified that she is a, a true talent and uh i think that she she's uh this is a film that's really going to push her forward yeah as an actress because she's one of the least recognizable mm-hmm. in the mainstream compared to the others but i think this movie hopefully will change that uh i didn't think everybody was was like a true standout like michael shannon you know he's in this and i think he's fine it mm. didn't really stand out to me in, in any meaningful way well i just i didn't think he had a lot to do uh he has his moments but uh and i would say like like don johnson by comparison had some really funny like there's good scenes uh, and good moments. I don't know. I think Michael Shannon has the best line in the whole movie. The I will uh, not eat one, one iota. Is <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that is yeah, a good line. Yeah. That is a good line. Yeah. Uh, Tony Collette. Oh my gosh, uh, she was insufferable, but not in a bad way. Oh, uh, see, Tony <laughs> Collette's actually she serves a great. Pr- uh, uh, she serves a great purpose, I think, in this. I actually, that was the one performance here I wasn't really digging. Like, it's very obviously like a Gwyneth Paltrow stand-in yeah. kind of thing, and it was like. I don't know. I mean, I warmed up to it more as it went on, but like she just felt like way broader than everyone else in the movie. Like, and I think Tony Collette's an amazing actress, so I have nothing against her personally. But I, I saw her for sure. Her performance just felt kind of like a little too over the top compared to everyone else. Um, sure, and sure. I, I was kind of disappointed that like we didn't get more of Jamie Lee Curtis. Like she, I was about to say yeah. that. Yeah, she. It feels like we're missing some scenes with her. Yeah, and and the relationship between her and her father. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get enough of like what's going on there to the point where I actually suspected, I was like, is she sort of the murderer here? Right. Because like, is the film, and I was worried that would be the case because it's like, are they sort of setting her up as like such a red herring because she's like the only one who doesn't have as clear a motive. And it didn't make sense to me why she was cut off from everything. Like I, 
what I wish this movie had done a little bit more of is sort of set up that she wants to be cut off. Like she doesn't want to rely right. on her father. She wants to be self-made. And so it would make more sense in, in that way that she would be cut off because she doesn't need him. But the movie just never gets to that. I feel or, it does feel like it's something that was edited out. Yeah. Maybe. Or like she wants to be self-made, but when push comes to shove and the prospect of not having money, I mean, for her, it's just more something with the house, I guess. Like maybe she was like overburdening. Right. I, I, that was like her main concern with it. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I love the the look they gave her in this movie. I think that was fantastic. But yeah, it's another good reason to rewatch this film. Probably yeah. is to to reexamine her story, mm-hmm. her role in this, because it probably makes more sense the second time around. Yeah, with a clearer head. Uh, I, I do also want to bring up like the kids in this kind of fall to the background. Like we don't get a lot of them, uh, especially Jaden Martell. Mm-hmm. who is uh, one of the other grandsons and he's like the alt-right troll and well, he, had, well, yeah. he had much he just never quite came into this movie as anything other than like a, a human prop mm-hmm. you know doesn't have a lot of lines doesn't really do much uh Catherine Langford at least has like moments where her dialogue and and her interaction with Marta drives the plot forward in a way mm-hmm. But there was nothing with Jane Martell that I thought held much uh, of interest to me. And then I was a little, slightly disappointed by the, sort of the same thing with Lakeith Stanfield. He sort of plays a straight man in this. Yeah. He, he doesn't really get a moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It, it felt like there was something missing with him as well, mm-hmm. where it, it just felt a little underwritten to me or undercooked uh, for one of the best performers in the movie. So maybe um, minor criticisms, maybe not underwritten per se, but just like maybe overcast, like you maybe he, yeah maybe maybe you just they just hired too hot, talented an actor for a role that wasn't really super consequential in the scheme of things but maybe that's like a sure. red herring in itself like it seems like he's gonna play a bigger role and he doesn't so i don't know hmm. i don't know i don't know either um but with that i'm 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 done talking about knives out i i, I like this one a lot mm-hmm. as you did uh any final thoughts on the movie before we uh finish this out yeah that's about it i mean like i, I part of me kind of wants it to have more stuff with the family because they kind of get pushed aside a lot in the second half outside of chris evans and to an extent christopher Plummer. but i mean i also kind of appreciate that like the things i like so much about the movie are the things i weren't anticipating so uh i i don't know it's kind of like part of me wants it to be more what i expected and also part of me recognizes that i think what makes it truly really good is that it it pushes those expectations away so uh ultimately i'm pretty satisfied with what we got all right that is knives out it is out in theaters right now okay that'll do it for us this week on cinema hogs we'll catch you all next week for our fall movie preview can't wait i think that's going to be a really great time don't forget to write in with the films that you want to catch up on over the holidays including any that might be coming out in december 2019 that we may be covering very curious to see what is on everyone else's radar in the cinema hogs community do so just be sure to head on over to the comment section on this episode page on cinemahawks.com and with that, we'll see you next week. From the Internet California, I am John Grimm. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time.